You can do nothing against the master. Stop, holy man! You cut the boy's throat. Back, back, holy man, back, shaman. Back, priest! What would you give for this miserable boy? What do you ask? What would you give to reprieve him this night to save him for another night? What do you want? The master wants you. Throw away your cross, face the master, your faith against his faith. Could you do that? Is your faith enough? Then do it. And trust him to let the boy go? Run! dead father run I'm going to kill you oh. now you're part of the bargain I'm a priest a <laughs> priest throw away the cross face the master face against face Welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week, and especially this year, we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. It is time once more, listeners, to assemble the quartet. Those for whom time is but a face on the water. Thank you, Cy. That's right. It is time for another Quarterly King. Special episodes every 25 or so meant to celebrate the work of our own Roland DeShane, Uncle Stevie himself, Stephen King. I am one of your hosts on this tour of Jerusalem's lot, Nathan Rouse. And typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, I promise he was here. He is no longer, but he's going to join us after his buying trip in new york i don't know if he'll be back in time but we shall see meanwhile permit me to remind you to one stay away from the marston house and two you can find the fear of god podcast wherever you get your podcasts and that your official source for all things foggy is our website thefearofgodpodcast.com now i know you're new in town so allow me to introduce you to some of the residents of Salem's Lot. First, is he Matt? Is he Jason? 
Is he Ian? Is he Ethan? It is the academic of many names. Salem's Lot's favorite teacher. Sorry, Susan. The venerable but never vampiric Ian Olson. Ian, welcome to the show, sir. Yes. Indeed. Uh, (laughs) Our next guest is our every man or every woman in this case. Bet you didn't see that coming wild card. Our very own Susan Norton. It's Andy Whitfield. (laughs) Welcome, Andy. You're the the wild card. We never know. We're like, we're reading the book and we're like, what? That's what it's like being friends with Andy. It's a good thing. Reading reading the book. (laughs) Exactly. Next up is Susan's new bow. Whether Mama Norton likes it or not, thank you very much. The gentleman who wears glasses to read to just look smart. Who can say? He is that writer with a heart of gold turned vampire hunter. Some call him Ben Mears. We just call him Blake. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Blake. Hello. <laughs> that was that took a minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> penultimately, it only made the most sense that yours truly adopted the persona of that most dapper of lieutenants, whose flowery words may in fact often hide a note of condescension. The harbinger of the lot's doom. It is I, your humble antique dealer, with no hidden agenda whatsoever. <laughs> Mr. Straker, <laughs> which can leave only one the master with a master. He who sleeps all day and sups all night, servant of the black, our very own Kurt with a K. It is he, Barlow himself, Reed Lackey. It's Carly King time. <laughs> Hello, everybody. That's exciting. I really Ooh, miss my so calling lady. to be like a WWE ringside announcer. <laughs> ah. It's in my blood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, Reed, Reed, I'm, I'm surprised you, you, you didn't blow yourself. I tried. I, <laughs> I was counting on it. Very, very Smurf challenging Reed. to blow yourself. Ron Howard, yes. he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Uh, that was a really I made a terrible mistake. Beautiful yeah. multi-layered arrested development <laughs> joke there. Um, we've got Cutting a quick bit cut. of business time uh, uh, because... It's a Tuesday if you're listening to this on the day of release and like three days from now, three days, the very first annual Salem's Lot Carnival. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't happen. Spoiler alert. Everybody's dead. Um, It is, in fact, the first ever hopefully to be annual Fogoween party, which is super exciting um you can still rsvp go to the website click the banner at the top fill out the form and tomorrow or thursday you will get the link to come join the party there are raffle prizes a few of them are like right here behind me uh not the wakandan shield no that's stays in wakanda um uh, but there are some raffle prizes we're going to do some trivia games it's going to have a grand old time please come out it's a live event it's not you know, some recorded thing that's going to go on the air. It's meant for you. It's meant for your significant other to come hang out. Reed, are you excited? I couldn't be more excited. I'm I'm extremely, extremely thrilled to do this. I don't know how it's going to go. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, though. Uh, I it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, so 
please, please, if you have not already RSVP'd, please go to the fearofgodpodcast.com and do so. <clears throat> we want to see you there. That's in like, like, seriously, you don't have much time. If you're listening to this right now, you have like two days. So please go do that. Um, another, another bit of business read that may, may be unexpected to you. Oh, um, really? Okay. Is a year ago. I mean, these <laughs> quarterly kings, these are parties. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like mini Fogoweens, you know, with you guys <laughs> twice a year. It's just fun. <laughs> just fogging um, around this yeah 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 um yeah one it feels like dr sleep which was just the beginning of this year it feels like years ago i don't know yeah. if it feels that way oh, old like yeah, that feels like forever it ago. was the beginning of this year <laughs> yeah, yeah it was like That's what march cow. april stuff like that right <laughs> <laughs> yeah right even That's more than that is a year ago we all ventured into the dead zone together uh, ian would you like to the ice, something about the ice. Can you? The ice is breaking. <laughs> They're going to go through the ice. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that flashback. Speaking of flashbacks, this is a real treat <laughs> that we finally get to share this with the listeners. So a year ago, which feels like five, uh, we were in the <laughs> what we thought was the middle uh or maybe what we thought was hopefully nearing the end mm-hmm. of this insane pandemic time we find ourselves in um and it was also one little <clears throat> listicle's 40th birthday <laughs> and, that's true uh, one little listicle it, it was <laughs> and to celebrate the listicle's birthday taking all necessary precautions that we all understood and knew at the time my sweet wife suggested i make a road trip to go visit the listicle and it it turned into this rube goldberg-esque <laughs> parade of idiocy driving across the country keeping hidden from reed that this was happening meanwhile trying to pretend there's nothing to see here don't look behind the curtain he thinks oh he's gosh. orchestrating a surprise for a person who's not present right now but gets referenced a lot jeff hansen I let him think he was orchestrating the surprise. Meanwhile, Jeff knew it wasn't a surprise on the rest of the Podbro's sake, but actually was a reverse surprise on Reed's sake. And we <laughs> we surprised him. I drove uh, a wildly labyrinthine path across this country, um, <laughs> picked up Ian, picked up some cheese curds, went and met Blake and his lovely wife uh, and at Blake's house and a, a, an undisclosed location as he wanted that. Um, <laughs> I, I was about to say it. I was like, at 522. <laughs> 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 uh, like, go look him up. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, the, the rest of us finally spilled the beans and surprised Reed when like a, a, a rabbit out of a hat to uh, the other folks in this conversation sat in frame with me and Reed. you could like see it. I don't know if y'all remember this, Oh my you're about gosh. To, you're about to hear it. Uh, One doesn't forget. <laughs> no, it was like it was like his brain stopped. It, it, it broke. Really, it broke. Yeah. It was like amazing and a little worrisome all at the same time. You're like, uh oh, <laughs> we just broke him. <laughs> we broke him. Yeah. <laughs> because simultaneously, and she never does this, simultaneously while you were doing yes. your little trick. My wife had come in and sat down on the bed next to me. So I'm because she was in on the game, too. She was. And uh, so I'm sitting there wondering, like, wait a second. Why is she in here? She must need me. (laughs) And so I keep waiting, but I'm you know, kind of waiting patiently for you to finish your story. And then suddenly Blake and Ian walk into the frame with you. And it really did. Like, it broke me. I was like, I don't 
know what's oh, happening. Oh, yeah. Right now. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, oh, speaking of, uh, enough buildup. We wanted, okay. in celebration of the one year anniversary of finally breaking Reed Lackey, we wanted to share <laughs> that with the listeners. And here it is Stump Reed. Guys, you may have noticed, um, I feel like something's missing from our you know, from our little collection. You do you? Um, I feel like there's a, there's a role that desperately needs to be filled. And, uh, and it, actually, I think it you pretty be, much covered them all. Well, no, it should, it should be filled. It should be filled and it should be filled post haste. I, as Sheriff Bannerman, I needed oh, that's right. That's right. to, I needed to call in somebody who I knew would be able to surmise all of the, the wonderful things, be able to hold our hands if you will, um, and be able to sort of show us things that we've never seen before. So uh, bear with me for just a moment, and I'm going to bring old Johnny Smith in on this. So, so Johnny, uh, you ready? You ready here, Johnny? After a coma of five years, Mr. Jeff Hansen is here oh. with us. <laughs> wow! <laughs> you know, welcome, Jeffrey. <laughs> Good to see you. This was a complete surprise. From the downtown. Our content is complete again. So uh, this was a complete surprise. I just watched the film Host on Shutter, and this is giving me real negative energy right now. <laughs> <laughs> Gallery view on Zoom. Jeff, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm good. It's glad to have you here. This yeah, is, uh, beautiful. This space. is exciting. Guys, uh, sincerely, it is so great to have you all here. Listeners may not know that Jeff's presence on the show was actually a complete surprise to Ian, Andy, and Blake. Um, so we had a, a bit of a heads up. And Jeff, it is, is really great to have you back. We are here to discuss uh, the collection of uh, both Stephen King's Ian, you're book. Right. I'm sorry. Uh, Ian, you're right. I, sorry. I, um, I was just going to try to wait for Reed to finish that oh, oh I'm no I'm, I'm gonna, okay i'm gonna i'm gonna go get the boys down and then uh, you, yeah. you just want me to yeah, dial back that, into the meeting yeah 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 okay. well we'll just give you a minute we'll give you a minute yeah 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 let's get we'll we'll, we'll wait for it for okay. the, all right all right yeah. great great, great, yeah, yeah, yeah. great. okay we'll I'll, wait I'll for and we'll just we'll just catch up while it's happening so are we, we are we pausing because because i may yeah. use the restroom are you leaving too yeah 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 i may, I may just use the restroom real quick we are oh my god okay as soon as as soon as Jeff arrives, then suddenly everybody's out. I've got a can right here, boys. <laughs> like I come prepared. I come prepared. What? Andy, what Andy, what do you got going on this weekend, man? Trunk or treat, baby. Are oh, really? you doing trunk or treat? Cool. Yeah, doing trunk or treat. Riri, what y'all got going on this weekend? We the plan is for us to uh, head back up north to see my wife's parents and to spend oh. a little bit of time with them. So uh, yeah, it's funny because we've we've created a, a bit of a bubble time. for ourselves across the miles. So uh -huh. um, so yeah, that's uh, that's basically what we're that's what the plan is. I took a couple of days off from work. So well, that's cool. Um, yeah. Does anybody want to ask me what I'm doing this week? <laughs> I mean, I figured, you, weekend, yeah, I figured you would just, <laughs> We're just making the round. Yeah. We're just making the round. No. Hey, Riri, do you remember that time earlier this month? I told you, like, I sent you a thing for your birthday. Yes, I remember. And I was like, do you remember the follow up to that? Like, what did I say? I was like, hey, I'm working on something, right? Yes, I do remember this. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Well, um, you, my friend, are actually 
not going to your in-laws because (laughs) (laughs) what the heck just happened (laughs) you just said what the heck just happened because uh wait a minute by the way Jeff, listen to me, Reed. Jeff is not participating in this conversation. You surprised nobody. <laughs> you surprised no one whatsoever. Really? But I love how well you teed all this up. So, no. You are, in fact, not going to your in-laws, but me and Ian here are driving to Jeff to land Friday while you join us later in the day. Is that true? Honey, is, is that, that true? true? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Oh, my God. God, you're joking! Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, we're on. Oh my God, really? Yeah, man. You just bitched and moaned all about (laughs) me going on my trip. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm trying so hard, just like, dude, dude, (laughs) you need to calm it down. (laughs) Oh my God! Reaching out to you to be on this call. That was me, bro. (laughs) Wow! 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 Pulling the strings. Dude, you are yeah. like the ultimate puppet master. The yeah, ultimate, ultimate puppet, puppet master. master. Now that, that big reveal. And then my man's crapping on my earphones. <laughs> oh my gosh. So now, um, okay. oh my gosh. Uh, uh, Tuesday, yesterday, Ian and I drove 10 hours after my seven. But yes, I drove 17 hours in one day. And then. He drove 15 hours. That's true. He drove two. <laughs> oh my whopping God. Two. Don't dump on it. So then, so then tomorrow. We're going to drive to the Grand Canyon and stay the night. And then Friday, we're driving to Ontario Airport where Jeff's going to meet us and pick us up and bring oh. us to Crest Line where you're going to meet us. Oh, my gosh. So are you really in Kentucky right now or no? I'm in Tulsa. You're in Tulsa. You see Wait, Blake, Blake there? Oh <laughs> yeah, that's Blake. Like, Blake is <laughs> right there. Him. Oh, Blake. my God. No, I see him. I see yeah. him. I just didn't know if y'all He's were like, all I see him. Let's just so clear. This is not a hologram. Okay. Wow. Oh my gosh. So, that that is that is staggering. You all right? I'm I'm great. I just had no <laughs> I had no idea. There's so many like I know. there's so many like little moving puzzle pieces that I didn't that I didn't realize. Yeah. So I and that you complicated. Yes, I did complicate <laughs> them. You complicated. Stump read. Thank you again, boys. I cannot express oh. The affection that I mean, I can't express the amazingness that was getting to. It was so delightful. It was so delightful. Um, So I have, um, so you know, with overwhelming gratitude, I have one more small bit of business, and then I have something. I I have a grievance. (laughs) 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 Something I've been holding on to for a year, fellas. Robert's rules of order. Okay, I go first, and then you go. um, No, this is not satire. So, <laughs> so I have a, a small bit of business, and then we have something formal before we get into our primary contact uh, content for today. So, the small bit of business slightly teased out last week. I want to share just a few more details on this. Uh, this is would be still considered business time. Um, we want you. Uh, I just want to encourage and invite you, if you will, uh, to look up a platform called Rediscover Television. As I mentioned last week, it is a uh, faith-based platform. That's their uh, that's their stock and trade, if you will. Um, it's mm-hmm. a streaming service that you can subscribe to. The price is like four ninety nine. <clears throat> Um, it is also something that you can add on if you already have like a Roku channel. I think it's a channel that you can add on there. But the thing you need to clue into is rediscover television. And the reason I'm pointing you to that, if you did not listen to last week, is because as of 
the time you're listening to this. Um, if all goes according to plan, there will be a, a documentary on that streaming service exclusive to that streaming service um, called The Valley of the Shadow, The Spiritual Value of Horror. Um, and it has a lot of uh, little fog connections. I co-wrote it with uh, Tyler Smith, who is our benefactor of the fear of God. He gave us, a, he gave us the opportunity to do this. Um, Tyler Smith is the director, and it is hosted by friend of the show and, and uh, recurring guest Bill Oberst Jr. So the uh, documentary is called The Valley of the Shadow. And if you're interested in that, uh, it's a little over two hours, and it's a, a kind of a deep dive into spiritual considerations around horror so this audience might be interested and remind us and and i'm sorry reed you i think you may have said this it is available now or it's you're alerting us that it's going to become available if you are listening to the episode right now it should be available to you now i have not been given a firm release date what i have consistently been told is it will be ready the last week of october so since this is dropping the last week of october i am i am taking that to mean it is available now but if not maybe check back in the next couple of days and it should be available there um Um, that's awesome. And I'm very excited for you and for us to get to Thank partake you. of that. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you referenced this. I did want to shout out uh, in the event, you're like, who is this guy? I've never heard of this or what he's representing. Uh, I would highly encourage listeners to go back and listen to last week's episode uh, oh, featuring please. Peter yes. Laws and uh, Creepy Cove Community Church podcast. We had a really just lovely conversation with Peter and, and I envision uh, multiple future appearances of him as well so that was a lot of fun absolutely absolutely um and so then the formal thing so that we don't forget it and it doesn't get lost in it and we can just dive in wherever we want to go is this was actually yes it's a quarterly king yes it's the cotet again together but this was an official what saves us entry this was that's right so Roll. this was uh salem's lot was specifically chosen by a uh, listener and regular contributor david pooler um and so we're going to take a brief moment to let him share his thoughts on salem's lot uh for us so uh take it away david hey everyone this is david i was a teenager when i read salem's lot by stephen king it was the third stephen king book i read and a lot more impressive than the two before, which was Dreamcatcher and Thinner. Um, but what mostly stuck with me was towards the end of the book, um, Father Cullahan is facing off against Barlow with a cross. And at first the cross is very bright and does a little bit of damage to Barlow. But then the light starts to fade and eventually goes out and Father Cullahan loses to Barlow. And Barlow says, the reason for this, the reason the light went out is because the cross is just a symbol. It's your faith that's weak. And to me, who was growing up Catholic at the time, um, it was a strong warning against putting our faith in symbols and rituals instead of putting it in Jesus and in God. Um, and to me, it's also very reminiscent of like a modern day of Matthew 14, 15, 25, I mean, uh, when Jesus tells Peter to get off the boat and walk to him on water and Peter does at first, but then he falls and Jesus chastised Peter's faith because it was not strong enough. Um, so it's also a story of like how just because you have a little faith doesn't mean it's real faith. Um, 
Stephen King also, later on, in my 20s, I was listening to the Dark Tower series. And he brings back, Stephen King brought back Father Callahan. And he talks about Salem's Lot. And he says, I realize now the reason I drank was not because my faith was weak. It's, my faith was weak because I drank. And at that time, I was kind of going to bars. I Nothing too drastic, but it really make, made me think how what I did, even if not completely sinful, doesn't help me in my faithful life. Thank you, David. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Good you, David. Enough. Really appreciate it. So, uh, so yeah, gentlemen, uh, that having been said. Let's well, head to the lot. Let's that, head that, to that, that having been said, David, right on. Love, <laughs> love, love what you said. But let's not forget that I have been saying we should do Salem's Lot since like 2017. <laughs> so, yeah. man. Wow. Ethan's in there somewhere too. Talk about like, you know, bearing the lead here. Like we're trying to give deference to a listener. Hey, and let's, shut his let's, mic off. Someone, hey, producer, will you shut the mic off of Ethan? <laughs> let's just say that since 2017, I have been against Salem's Lot. <laughs> Before, okay. Before gauntlets get thrown down, let's have Nathan's a fun like, whoa, game whoa, whoa. here. Yes, let's, let's play a fun game. Reed, you threw this out to the rest of us. I'm going to set us up for it uh, because I sort of already did it with us here, uh, which is we are like Reed and I did for Something Wicked This Way Comes. Mm. We are going to cast our own Salem's Lot. Um, I personally, we'll get to this question as we tend to do with each Quarterly King. I've only seen the 79 version. I've not seen the Rob Lowe version. So I was actually thankful for that because I didn't. And I actually did not look up uh, what I think is a currently in pre, maybe pre pre production sort of (laughs) casting to know who was a part of that uh if any of that was definitive yet so so mine was very uh raw here so what we'll do is we will let's do it this way let's round table just pick one off your list reed challenged us with four or five kind of scenario and and <coughs> let's just have fun with it um uh let's uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna just jaws style this and and name people for who they're going to be so so ian why don't you start and just tell us you know, one of your casting choices, if you were to, and if there's any added context, like if, if it's like, yeah. Oh, this is an eighties cast, or this is before, a frost time cast. Yes. Reed, yeah. you, sir. In before the we, before we get into it, I think it might be kind of fun. So like Ian's going to cite a character. Can we, at that point, all share sure. if we cast let's that character, who let's we did that and let's round table it that way. So, okay, go ahead, Ian. You okay. Kick us off. Oh man. Uh, I feel the pressure then of like, yeah. with, um, okay. Then I'm going to say, uh barlow i um first of all this is set in 1974 okay this that's when this is set and javier bardem is playing kurt barlow it's mm. a nice okay. choice it's a nice choice <laughs> barlow wasn't one of my I mean, core go ahead go ahead i'm sorry no i was just gonna say barlow wasn't one of my core uh, i have it as an alternate in case other people had cited other things that, you know, that I, I just wanted. So I was going to throw Mads Mikkelsen in the role as uh, I, I consider him as well. I mean, that's mm-hmm. they're neck and neck. Yeah, that's in my ideal world. I would have uh, I, I would cast uh, Vigo Mortensen. As Kurt Barlow. No, okay. as Barlow. Okay. 
<laughs> Mainly because I, th- I I can imagine him in makeup, and it would be terrifying. He's he's the so. discount Mad Spiegelson anyway. So <laughs> he is basically oh, yeah, yeah. only one kind. <laughs> <laughs> Very, very cool. uh, Andy, Andy, do you have a Barlow? He's the vampire, right? Yeah. <laughs> can tell you. I'm, yeah. No, no, I paid attention this time. I just don't know the character's name. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even know who y'all are casting them as. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Johnny Hill. <laughs> yes susan is here and yes. is at work yes yes I love blake it. blake that yeah. is satire okay so okay. I, actually i was least pleased with my barlow choice not because i don't think it's a good choice i do i just wasn't as it i am definitely uh copycatting myself so i uh, I read the book years ago. I listened to the book and then I watched the movie. The reason that matters is I was very unprepared for the Barlow that's in the movie. I, I really didn't know mm. how, how, you know, divergent a steer the, the film would make, uh, which makes conjures a cow image in my head, <laughs> but um, divergent to steer. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, we get it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Shut up, Nathan. <laughs> Yeah. Move along. Move along. Um Move so, along. Uh, so I was trying to trying to sort of meld these sort of competing visions. And I do like the visual of Barlow in the film. And so without uh much too much more prefacing, I chose Tilda Swinton again, much like Suspiria. Ah, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. put Tilda Swinton yeah. as Barlow because she can yep. kind of do anything in right, the right. kind of that, that yeah. world you put enough makeup she's gonna I actually yeah. thought about willem defoe circa shadow of the vampire that's like, so right. that's actually that was actually my first but then i was like eh, that defoe? feels yeah defoe yeah yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so nathan you yes. have never seen the like poster and thought <laughs> this is the vampire <laughs> <laughs> well Susan, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I had never, question, Susie? I had never, I had never looked at the poster. <laughs> I had never, okay. I had never, I had never considered the poster. So no, I was not. Are, about- are the, like when you rented it, did it not have a title? <laughs> okay. There's a lot of logic leaps that are happening here, right gonna, now. Here, but <laughs> let me pull you out of the boiling cauldron. And I want to clarify that when I cast Barlow, I'm not thinking novel talking Barlow. I, mean, I want I want Javier Bardem as like Max Shrek Nosferatu. Oh, yes, I just, I yes, just want yes. him to be like, yeah, yeah. the whole time. That's no speaking. Yeah. 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 Right. So that's why no, Andy, I, I did not consider the art whatsoever. <laughs> Um, partly because I just wasn't because having read the book twice now, I wasn't thinking that that's what I thought it was just a oh, generic vampire image. No, not this uh, is what our Barlow is going to look like. Hey, now, surprise, yes, please surprise. read. Well, I was going to I was going to ask because we uh, if you had somewhere else you wanted to go, uh, I, w- I was going to ask to go next because of something yeah, somebody said it. that I want to piggyback off of. So normally I wouldn't just immediately jump in, but somebody referenced Shadow of the Vampire and Willem Dafoe specifically. I was because of Shadow of the Vampire was not thinking Willem Dafoe for Barlow, but I was thinking he would make a pretty interesting Father Callahan. So I cast mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe as Father Callahan. <laughs> I think he okay. would make he would make an interesting sort of like, yeah. you know. I want to go next. Normally I don't do this, but <laughs> <laughs> so well so yeah, so that's my No, that's my I think Father that's Callahan. fantastic. Willem and Dafoe. and King's Callahan. 
played by Defoe. That's great. That is a mm-hmm. great choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, Hooper's Callahan <laughs> is a joke. It's a non-existent uh, character. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, my choice, which feels incredibly appropriate. This is not me being satirical. This is reading the text of the film <laughs> and saying, this is effectively what you tried to cast. So I'm just going to hand it to you and put Mr. Bean as Father Callahan <laughs> and Hooper's Salem's Lot. Because I was like, this is a joke. This is not yeah, Father Callahan. Oh, He's yeah. just a doofus mm-hmm. who's like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to trade for the boy. Okay, you can have him <laughs> take him, please. So, so, so I'm going to cast, because right, I, I picked Father Callahan too. But yeah, do it. I, I tried to find a... I didn't want the guy in the movie because that's yeah, non-existent, like you said. But I don't think he wanted. I, I wanted to push him more <laughs> towards the book, but not completely. And so I went with Ben Mendelsohn. Ooh, Ooh, I do love Mr. Mendelsohn. So Ben Mendelsohn <laughs> was on. He was. Uh, he was on my short. Ben wow. Mendelsohn was on that my short great. list to join the cast. <laughs> Not necessarily as far I really as do love that man. <laughs> it's so good. Like in he could, head, read new, he like, could just read the newspaper and I'd be happy. Yeah, exactly. Um, good choice, Blake. I like this is fun. This is a good game. <laughs> All right. Who's going next? Andy, you go next. Do you have a Callahan? Is it Jonah Hill? <laughs> yeah. Jonah Hill's great. Play. Seth Rogen. It's like the oh, nutty man. professor. Nah, it's nah, just Eddie nah, Murphy. Nah, Eddie Murphy. Nah, Eddie Murphy. Nah, <laughs> Seth Rogen. <laughs> So, so you um, want to take the boy? I mean, so it's me for the boy. <laughs> uh, okay. Wow. Just, just to add, he not it wasn't Copland. It's the one with um, Jake Gyllenhaal, and he's the Hispanic. And he's oh, also oh, Michael Pena. The, Michael Pena. Oh, he's yeah. in the he's in the Vatican tapes, and yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought he would be a good yeah. Fun. I love Michael Pena. Yeah, me too. He's, he's wonderful. So, no, he's wonderful. Good choice, and, Andrew. Good choice. And because yeah. no, it's and it's a great choice because his um, Michael Pena, a, a wonderfully diverse actor, can do a lot of different things. But because mm-hmm. of the popularity of the Ant Man films, he gets sort of relegated to some you know more like Funny comedic, sidekick. yeah, comedic but, stylings. Yeah, I mean, he's really good at that. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's he, oh he's amazing at it. <laughs> no, That's a good movie. <laughs> but, uh, he's amazing at it. But what I'm calling out is that he would do great in a role like that because he rarely gets viewed in those more serious type roles, but I think mm-hmm. he would do exceptional at it. So yeah, no, I, I, I really affirm that. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Take that, Seth Rogen. Um, <laughs> all right. Can I, Who's, can go I ahead, Blake. Susan? Well, yeah. Ian's, Ian didn't name his Callahan. Oh. Do you have a Callahan, Ian? I, I didn't cast a Callahan. Okay, okay. Oh, sheesh. <laughs> sheesh. Don't care about the fathers, huh? Okay. <laughs> Uh, so for Susan, I, I was thinking, so I'm trying to get the, uh, the ages a little bit closer than they are in yeah. the movie. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's a little, it's a little creepy at times uh, in the movie. Uh, so I am going with one of my favorite actresses, Mary, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. As oh, Susan. very I nice. Like that choice. Uh, very nice. Yeah. 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 She, the, could, she could bring some the, intensity to it towards the latter half of the story, but still have that kind of innocence, I guess. So. <laughs> For the listeners, what would she have been? Oh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> for, uh, yep. most, for Andy. Yeah. <laughs> John Live free or die hard. <laughs> yes. Really? Uh, yeah. She was oh. John McClane's daughter. <clears throat> yep. Uh, the remake of the thing, the remake of the remake of the thing. Yeah, she was in the remake of the, well, the prequel to the thing. Oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Okay. She's in the yeah. third so, season of Fargo. 
She is in the third okay. season for you. Okay, so she wasn't John Goodman. She was the other one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the other one. She was Mike Wazowski, Correct. the little one with <laughs> yeah. one eyeball. Yeah, and not yes. the other guy either. Right. <laughs> the other guy. Okay. Mike Wazowski. <laughs> Who else? <laughs> Who else hey, uh... Real quick, real quick. I, I'm I'm trying to keep a little bit of track here. So Callahan, we did Callahan. Who was the first one? We did Barlow. Barlow. Yeah, Barlow, and then Callahan. All right. Here we are at Susan. I like yeah. Matilda for Barlow. Um, did you? Did anybody else have a Susan? I have one, but I yes. just want to go ahead. Uh, like Blake. Uh, now, what's funny, Blake, is I looked this up because I was like, mm-hmm. "This Ben looks like a fifty-year-old dude." Yeah, like, exactly. I don't know if he just. I yeah. don't know what, but they are only five years apart in age. Oh, actors. really? She's thirty-one. Just... He's thirty-six. The time of oh wow filming. Man, yeah. it's oh, significant. Um, like they, they look... It is well, <laughs> and what is a little irksome is. I feel very confident that the book names her as like 18 or 19. Um, Yeah, that seems right. But I couldn't recall if the book properly identifies him. He's clearly a little older, but I don't think it's dramatically older. Mm -hmm. Um, My Susan, uh, I I was really kind of racking my brain here because I wanted uh, a little more fire uh, than the Susan we get. Uh, and, And honestly, a little more fire than the Susan we get both on the page and the screen, though. I think the page version is, is more so uh, my Susan was, will be played by Florence Pugh. Yeah. Uh, Ooh. Good choice. Great pick. She, that is a that is great a, pick. A, that is a great really good. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's that was a really pretty. nice choice mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, absolutely. And for uh, the other Susan. Yes, I, I have. Oh, Florence <laughs> Pugh is Yelena and black widow. Okay. Uh, she's the lead in Midsommar. Um, okay. She's in little women. Really, okay. really good actor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So I, go ahead, Ian. Ian's got a Susan. I, I retract mine. I want a second uh, okay. Florence for when Florence this P. when this happens. That is such an excellent pick. Kudos. Hey, hey, Andy. Andy, just second mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I have a. Uh... <laughs> yeah, go, oh, go No, go ahead, Andy. Because I, 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 I feel like I cut Andy off. No, it's okay. Susan, <laughs> <laughs> Andy. Uh, I don't have a Susan. I, okay. I, I was just to just for poops and giggles. I was going to say Jessica Chastain. Oh, that's <laughs> not actually that bad. I mean, she's great I mean, in anything. She can do everything. Yeah. A little yeah, older, but yes, yeah. But, yeah. but that was everything. that was more of a nod to Nathan. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, um, so my Susan, um, I did, I, I did aim for someone who looks younger, but I also was wanting um, somebody who could add a bit of depth to what is admittedly not a very complex character. And I was looking for actors who take, in every performance I've ever seen her in, she takes roles that on the surface might just be played very direct, very superficial, but she adds a tremendous amount of gravity to it. Uh, very popular up and coming actor in horror right now. But um, I picked Rosa Salazar and this is for Andy to see like who she is. Oh, oh, that's, you're, oh Rose, her. Rosa, yeah. Rosa Salazar is in, uh, she's in Alita Battle Angel, but you can't really recognize her in that. More recently, she was in Netflix's um, brand new cherry flavor miniseries that they did. Mm. Uh, she was, did you watch that? I did, and it's wild. Oh, is it and good? Outrageous. Okay. Um, it's, think that's, it, um, what's his face? Uh, yeah, the Channel Nick, Zero guy. Um, Nick, Nick, uh, Nick David Costa. Foster. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, on brand new cherry flavor, here's one thing that's incredible about it. Like, uh, if you, 
brandy cherry flavor is a very, very specific taste. It is wild and outrageous. It is cherry. extreme in all of the different uh, aspects. So just be aware of that. But if you watch brand new cherry flavor, Rosa Salazar delivers uh, a, just an absolutely like a tour de force performance. And so she's somebody that when I was thinking of somebody who could, who, who could add depth and gravity to the roles, uh, that's why I picked Rosa Salazar. So uh, oh, that's my, runner, my runner up there was Thomas and McKenzie, but I thought she hmm. visually oh, was yeah. too young. I no, think she's a little young looking. But she's amazing. Uh, yeah, she's great. Yeah. Um, what's really another character? Uh, Andy, do you have any characters you want to name that haven't been offered yet? Um, yeah. You want to um, cast? Ben. Okay. Yeah. Let's I do it. I want to cast Ben. Um, so have we decided that Susan is younger? She is definitely younger. It's so it's uh, well, in our, in our casting. <laughs> Are we yeah, casting I mean, her younger? You you can if you want you, to. You like, cast some, Ben. Yeah. Well, yeah. he's a writer, so I right. mean, he's no he's no David Foster Wallace. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that was a nod to Ian. No, um, no, one finished, <laughs> no one finished that book either. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, wouldn't it be fun if Tom Holland was was that? That'd be kind of fun. Hmm. That's an interesting but choice. And make him British. Tom Holland British. He, are he, he, I, I mean, he is British. He is British. British. Yeah, yeah, make yeah. Ben British. Allow, allow his, his, allow his accent British. to go. His true accent. As long as, as long as when Barlow shows up, he does a Spidey backflip. <laughs> I can live yeah. with that casting. Something <laughs> fun are, are the other one that I, I thought I thought of with, if we're keeping it younger, um, the guy who's in um ah shoots and ladders um love simon <laughs> oh i never i can, I can I visualize you're who about. you're talking yeah. about but no i don't remember um, don't know his he's, name he's good he was in the teacher on fx and um he's he's really cool he's a really good actor but um all right you might you will know him from simon love simon, love simon yeah Hello, my name is Simon. Is it the main guy, Nick Robinson? Yeah, the main guy. Okay, okay. all right. Yep, yep. That's uh, yeah, Nick Robinson, I believe. Because awesome. he looks his serious roles. He looks old enough that he could. I mean, he still looks like a high schooler. Well, no, just that's who I picked. Yeah. We got it. Okay. We got it. <laughs> who, uh, who else cast Ben? And Tom, I did. Blake, go. Uh, I did Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm. Not a bad call. Care man after call. my heart. <laughs> I didn't pick Jeff. I like but that. He's he's yeah. not wrong for anything. Yeah, yeah. Ian, did you cast Blake? I did. did. You cast Ben. <laughs> Blake. <laughs> Whoa! Wow. Freudian Blake's slip a, there, Reed. Blake's certainly in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Reed wants a new set of friends. He's <laughs> gonna recast his friends. Um, Ian, Ian, who's who's your Ben? <laughs> I cast Adam Driver as Ben, so that Ooh, as good call as 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 as, uh, <laughs> as crap is getting more real, we can just have lots of Adam yelling with that well, intensity. Wait, what would he say? <laughs> what would he say? <laughs> like this town is going crazy, and you're gonna leave. And more, just just schools, more. More, more, more. Oh, wow. And plus, he's playing around as, as he's driving the stake. More, yeah. <laughs> Man, he's, that, he played a writer in Patterson. Shoot that! Do you ever been out of the I sky? Do. I do. What? 
All What's right. your bin, Braden? So I wanted somebody who, uh, you know, I just want the thought behind what. Um, yeah. One thing that bugged me about the casting, both in the situation, I did see the Rob Lowe one and uh, the uh, both for David Soul for this one as well, is that I don't think they really capture the vulnerability that Ben feels with his association with the Marston House. I feel like that's something that no, you know, neither of the two adaptations really capitalize on effectively. It just kind of is an afterthought. And I wanted somebody who could be believably strong enough to do what Ben does, but also play believably the vulnerability that it takes for him to over, that he has to overcome for him to do what he did. So uh, my Ben Mears, and also I thought would be a really, really strong match with Rosa Salazar in terms of the romance thing. Uh, Riz Ahmed is who I want Ooh, for my, I do for like my Ben. Riz. Yeah. He's a good so, man. I, I almost Ahmed. picked, I almost picked Dev Patel actually. Ooh, <laughs> that's another good call. Yeah. Dave yeah, Chappelle. Really no, <laughs> wrong <laughs> <laughs> wrong role i mean that'd be fun <laughs> he's barlow um yeah, he's barlow is uh, <laughs> like shut up man these Everybody. vampires gerrymandering <laughs> salem's lot <laughs> get that steak away from here <laughs> gerrymandering hey, y'all got lot. that steak <laughs> they would have um all right wow. well in the spirit of those bins one thing that uh uh i I and and you know King is from New England. He writes New England, which is just just a wash in white people. Um, and yeah. this cast in at least the seventy nine version, there's you know literally everybody is white. So I wanted I wanted to mix things up a little bit with his casting, um, and was trying to think through people I thought could really work because if we were doing that, ain't right right now about the 79 movie i would literally put the casting as my that ain't right like i did not like it whatsoever mm -hmm. at all to be clear except fred willard who yeah you know <laughs> actually I when i saw his name when i saw his name i was like please let him be barlow <laughs> 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 uh so uh, uh similar to the spirit you were defying there reed uh this actor uh has this I'm a badass, but I'm always awed by discovering something new and incredible look like he can really pull that off. Well, um, and that is Jonathan majors. I want uh, a Jonathan majors, Ben Mears. If you watch Lovecraft, you see him engaging these, mm -hmm. these wide pendulum swings of kind of emotion and fantastical sort of interaction, uh, with narrative. And I, I don't know, I think, I think even watching the, the film, I was like, kind of what you articulated like this guy is just too old and i and i and mm -hmm. which isn't to say age literal age wise he just presents as mm -hmm. an older guy in a mm -hmm. way that doesn't really work for me for what i envisioned to have been mm -hmm. um and and while jonathan majors wasn't in my head reading the story when i'm recasting this he really fits that mold of smart intelligent vulnerable open to you know the incredible kind of personalities that's that is my ben mirrors mm -hmm. um nice i've got two more who, who i have to I've got lead one with one next reed i don't know if you've led with one you want to lead with one uh i led with callahan so okay. uh, but i mean i'm happy to lead again because uh um but uh so i'll i'll go ahead and get straker out of the way um Sweet. because um yes. straker straker is somebody that i you know uh 
I, I think James Mason is perfect. So yes. you know, when we get yes. further late in, I mean, yeah, James Mason is perfect yeah. as Straker. Um, but if I were going to modernize it, somebody who I feel like could add the regal element of it while also bringing the sinister to it is I think Gabriel Byrne would make a really Ooh. fine. Yes. Um, yes. So, so, yes. So, yes. This is a great game. Yeah. This yeah. just is yeah. like, <laughs> 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 Oh my God. So, so yes, uh, Gabriel Byrne okay. is my Richard Straker. Gabriel yes. Byrne. Yeah. Um, who? Someone else. I got, I got a else? striker. Go. Yeah. yeah. We'll go, Ian. You're just okay. allowed us to okay. go. <laughs> <laughs> I love Gabriel Byrne. That's a great idea. Um, if Thank something, you. if he was occupied, it's like, I can't do it. Then mm. uh, call Patrick Stewart because he's the second man in line mm. for striker. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see, see it. it. I would love it, especially after his turn in Green Room. He could really. Yes. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. As long as at some point he says to Barlow, engage, you know. (laughs) I must be drawn here. And he has red laces. Okay, yeah. Uh, Blake, who's your striker? Uh, I only had one name that kept coming to mind, and I couldn't get it out, so I just went with it. Uh, Kenneth Brona. Oh, I like that too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Gilderoy Lockhart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Haven't read his on that. Andy, do you have a striker? No, I don't. That's okay. <laughs> so, Do you? So it's funny. I those of you with deep familiarity with the seventy nine version just come to this that installment with a lot of affection, which I can respect. I don't share it, but I can respect it. Even and and I don't know why, but even the I don't know that it was the casting so much but the the scripting the the treatment of straker just did not click for me at least as uh, again as i'm reading and envisioning this and so i don't share the mason love but who kept coming to me that has a slight aged quality and can sugarcoat his uh um you know, kind of vocal deliveries to make the women of Salem's lot swoon, the men buy expensive antiques, but also hate all of them at the same time, uh, is Christoph Waltz. I just oh, can't yeah. would be uh, great. away from that as like, mm-hmm. cause he's got that perfect, not the head guy, but the one who knows all the machinations and orchestrates it at the same time, kind of energy to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my, Straker. We should put all these guys in a room and just have them fight to the death for the role. Oh my god, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, who I've has got any, one left? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, You've never led with one, so go ahead. Well, okay. Well, I'll do it then. Uh, is Matthew slash Jason Burke? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which again, why the why the name change? Who knows? I don't know. Um, I wanted to. I wanted to mix up again. Uh, 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 Salem's Lot so white. Uh, it also so dude. Um, so I did go with a woman for this casting. And I think this is a, a decent choice. I'm not in love with this choice, but I like the idea of it. And that's Emma Thompson. Mm. Was my okay. mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah. They did uh, gender swap the doctor in the upcoming new one. Uh, she's going to be played by, I believe, Alfrey Woodard. If that. Oh, if- okay. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, Dr. Cody um, is going to be played Maybe by Alfred Woodard. Cody. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I actually cast uh, Matt Burke as well. I did not gender swap, but uh, but also was trying to look for some diversity in casting. Um, this will not mean much to people who are not uh, just strongly averse with Lost, but uh, I cast Ken Lung uh, from yeah. uh, who is uh, plays Miles in Lost, yeah. um, and uh, and he's he's got the right age and he's got the right gravity to be a teacher. I feel like he would really do well in the freak out moments but still come off as competent to be able to join the troop and be able to sort of contribute to the fight so uh so yeah he's my matt burke i also cast matt and since i i'm trying to go as much as what i saw in my head when i mm -hmm. read salem's lot when i was a kid and so i am i am in early 1970s new england mm -hmm. so I I have Gary Oldman. That's who I see oh, as man. Matt. Gary Burke, Oldman's great. Who, um, American accented, uh, of course. Gary Oldman, man, he would be great. Yeah, he'd be fantastic. Uh, did anybody else have any other casting that we didn't mention or a, a role that's been? I didn't want to just for funsies because we're all King fans here. Um, I had a list with Burke um, because <laughs> I just couldn't quite pick, but Emma uh, was the only. Uh, woman I landed on that really worked for me, but my other options for Ben, for Matt, Jason <laughs> um, was one for Burke. <laughs> yeah. Do you have somebody for Burke? Yeah. Okay. Well, who the, the girl from um, the hate you give the lead the yeah. The the lead. Teenager. Yeah, as a, as an older teacher in a community. <laughs> no, no, I was talking about. <laughs> oh, you think we're talking about Mark Petrie? You think we're talking about the boy? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah Burke, that Mark. Makes a little okay, more I can see. Yeah, <laughs> I affirm <laughs> his casting. I'm all for, for Mark Petrie. Yes, I yeah. affirm his casting for Mark Petrie. Well, now the hate you give is a girl. I know we're going to gentle. Oh. It. It's going to be a girl. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. 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 Let me do my. I know, I know. Let me do my Burke list real quick because this is fun. It was at least. Um, but <laughs> redeeming him, redeeming him from the dead zone. One, Mr. Martin Sheen, as mm, oh, Matt okay. Burke. So that was an option. God, that was uh, uh, redeeming him from the deadfall as a possibility was John Lithgow. Okay. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. Two others. One. One of Reed's choices for something wicked would be Mr. Richard Jenkins. I mm. think would really mm. he would do, do that great role well. as Matt Burke. I thought about him for Matt for Matt. The Burke. last yeah, one that's a good one. Who would just he might actually be too big a persona for the role is Brendan Gleason. Oh no, I would take him. I, I would take yeah, him. Absolutely. I, yeah, I consider that. Like, and know, listen, he can he can support. Like yeah, he can, well, I guess like, I'm thinking of Hamish from Braveheart, which yeah. is like 30 right. years but, ago at this point. But, right, right, yes. But that's the thing is like He's Brendan Gleeson is real broad, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting is that yes, Brendan Gleeson is a very charismatic performer, and so yeah, he does chew up scenery whenever he's on screen. But he does really, really well when he has to just support the world. Think of him in the village, you know, like well, he, he does really well. Down when, though, like you know, yeah, and make, and make him Father Callahan. Yeah, make him oh, Father sure. Callahan. The only no, reason keep Mendelssohn, Mendelssohn. Yeah, Mendelssohn for sure. The only what, reason Reed? I didn't, the only reason I didn't pick him for Father Callahan is because I thought of him because of Calvary. Calvary, uh, yeah, but yeah. that's but that's why I didn't pick him for Father yeah. Callahan is because I I so associate him with Calvary and it felt a bit too like I wasn't working for him. But man, I'm Honest. thinking Nathan's talking about redeeming Dead Zone and 
guys, Christopher Walken as Matt Burke. Mm. Ben, the, the <laughs> vampires. He's <laughs> sitting in the rocker. And then <laughs> I'm telling you, he my heart is attacking. He <laughs> His heart is cracking. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Goodness gracious. All right. That was incredibly that was fun. fun. Uh, was I fun. love that. Let's. So, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Read, you, do you, it. Go. No, please. No, what, well, no, what I'm I was going to say is just we haven't, we haven't uh, really got into um, our own individual histories with the film. So, so uh, you know, the, the book, the history, the anything. So I figured we could just briefly round table, sort of set the stage with, you know, do, how we feel about the book, how we feel about this film. Um, and so, so I'll, I'll lead. Um, I'll just go ahead and say, like, you know, Salem's Lot was frequently cited. Um, okay. Salem's Lot was frequently cited as like one of the scariest books uh, that Stephen King ever wrote. And so every single time I've approached the novel, there's always been this pervasive hype in it. And I have to say that Salem's Lot for me, for reading experience and some of the stuff that I love from King, Salem's Lot is mid-tier in terms of my personal affection. I do applaud its place in the King canon, its importance to establishing him as the cultural icon he is in the world of horror. But in terms of, and, and, and that's why I'm citing that maybe it was because of how many times before I read it that I heard it cited as like his, one of his scariest books. It didn't affect me as much as others did. It's got some great scenes in it. It's got some pretty strong characters at times. But I think what he establishes there, he does better in other places. So for me, the novel is still kind of mid-tier in terms of my affection for it. The film, I would say the back half of the film, I love. The first half of the film for me is always a bit of a chore. It's a bit of just like I have to get through the first half of the film. And then I love quite a few things that occur in the back half of the film, uh, either just for scares or for visuals or things like that. Um, and with the one glaring, there's one moment <clears throat> early in the film that uh, that is a glaring sort of exception to that rule that I do absolutely love. But uh, so. All of that to say, both are pretty mid-tier for me. Um, and so that's that's my history with Salem's Lot. Blake, what about you? So I saw the film or the miniseries, whatever you want to call it, at some point growing up. I don't remember when. Uh, I, I probably saw it with my family or something like that. So I don't really recall that first time, but I definitely saw the movie before I read the book. I read the book about four, five, six years ago hmm. um, for the first time all the way through. Um like you, I didn't really find it scary, uh, except yeah. for the first maybe 100, 150 pages when it's mm -hmm. kind of getting digging into the, 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 the corruption of the town itself before we even get sure. into the action. Yeah. But that's, yeah. that's what I love about King and what I always feel like he covers up when he should really like open it up more mm -hmm. is this whole idea that like there's something going on in these towns. Mm -hmm. Like put, put, put aside all the, the, the villains and the creepy creatures and all that stuff. Like, I want to explore like what causes this town to like be evil. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I, I just want him to write a book about that. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, after that, once it gets into the actual main story, it's good. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's probably one of my, if I'm going to go with the long epic books. It's probably my favorite. Oh, interesting. Favorite. Maybe okay. it, it might take the cake, but it uh, just like depends on the day. Um, mm -hmm. so I saw the movie probably two or three more times since I read the book. Um, mainly because I know Ian and 
uh, whenever you are friends with Ian, you end up watching the movie two or three times um, <laughs> just because of his influence, his magical influence over me. Um, so, so. There's, there's that magic Indian crap again. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you said it. You said it's true. it. Yeah. Yeah. Trope's going to okay. trope. That's, that, that's my, uh, that's my cool. history with it. Cool. Andy, you're up. Um, well, I've already done a podcast about this movie. <laughs> and, <laughs> not here, you haven't. It's true. Not in fear of God, um, but the body and blood. I learned about it from Ian Olson. He, he didn't Magical use effect. Any, no magic. Magic of the magic. <laughs> Straight up coercion. <laughs> magic of the magi. I don't know. Um, and I it was during a time I didn't pay much attention to it. And I know it seems like I didn't now because I don't remember character names, but I watched it this time. So, but my history with it is Blake and Ian forcing me to watch it. And it is just long. It is so <laughs> long. <laughs> and I just, I really tried this time. Um, but the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, homework. Da, 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 da. This time I was like, put my phone away. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to do that. But, um, History is from uh, Blake and Ian. I never gotcha. read the book. Gotcha. Um, although somebody texted me recently and said I should. So okay, okay, that's fair. That was that's me. fair. <laughs> everybody, everybody points to themselves. Yeah, it was in the thread for this conversation, saying, that, "Hey, Andy, you should read the book to prepare for the conversation." <laughs> One quick thing: they, was it really? They all had. <laughs> yeah. I Go ahead, Blake. Take this yeah. moment. <laughs> Blake. Rest in peace, Body and Blood. Oh, yeah. yes. Let's pour Coburn out for Body and Blood. That's right. It rests right, in Ian. the Marston house now. <laughs> oh, ow. Oh, ow. sorry. That, that was... Uh, no, no, that didn't... It sounded Peace better in my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take it away. Um, land. <laughs> okay, I read Salem's Lot um, in 1994, so I was in fourth grade. Um, and now I don't remember if I first saw the movie or if I read the book first, I know that very early on, I would, I caught it when it was on TBS one time and then it, it became one of my like go-to horror movies, uh, when I just knew I wanted to watch horror and nothing else was jumping out at me. There was always a certain kind of, I don't know, a, a consolation or something. I was like, well. Salem's lot will will do the trick. So I rented it quite often and I don't recall ever finding the movie scary. It was just enjoyable. It captured a little bit of that feeling of um I don't know. Uh I lived in Janesville, Wisconsin. And so I looked for parallels and correspondences between that um uh, being being a uh, an adolescent there and and Salem's lot this this town that you probably drive past going on the interstate through New England and you just ignore and it's maybe a name that you hear now and then if you're in the region um, but you forget about it and it doesn't matter and I just have always been fascinated by the idea of that being a place that is overrun 
by these forces of darkness and evil. And so it, I just always felt kind of galvanized from Salem's Lot. Um, but the book, I would say that the novel Salem's Lot is my favorite King novel. Um, and I like the Salem's Lot stories, Jerusalem's Lot and One for the Road that are in uh, Night Shift also. Hmm. So now do they feature characters that we know? Uh, no, Jerusalem's Lot is set about two centuries before, yeah, before Salem's Lot. Um, and it, it's it, what, what, so one of the things I like about Salem's Lot, the, the novel is it does feel very Lovecraftian, you know, sleepy New England town being invaded and infiltrated, um, by these forces. Jerusalem's Lot is even more explicitly. So there's this arcane ancient text and, um, and things like that. And then one for the road is set after the events of Salem's Lot, where now Salem's Lot, people are like, yeah, don't, don't drive past there. And, and there's a car that's broken down in the winter and someone goes to help out and comes to regret it. So it, it's cool. just, it's kind of like, so it's a, it's a, it's a shared universe of these, yeah. of these stories. Um, but yeah, there's not really a through line of like, oh, and there's Mark, you know, he's back. And anything like right. That. Um, before, before we leave Ian, uh, cause I, I'm curious to hear Nathan's thoughts as well, but, um, I have not seen this. Have you ever seen the 112 minute version? I mean, that question could go to everybody, but I'm just curious because of your affection for it. Have you ever sought out or been able to see the feature length version of Salem's lot of Toby Hooper's done? Uh, yes, yes. Okay. And I never and have. And I'm very, very curious. It's superior because it, uh, if only, if only because it doesn't have, I think that many of the stylistic choices that we would see as cheesy and what we all just watched are mm -hmm. owing to other people who weren't Toby Hooper um, drawing out a final scene before a commercial break, for instance, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And, and, and that piercing shrill music, right? Like those are not Hooper decisions. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it is worth noting that Stephen King specifically cites the 112 minute cut as his preferred version of yeah. experiencing that film, which is why it's frustrating that it's not more widely available. Um, well, I yeah. honestly have not been able to find it. Wait, you're telling me that Toby sure. Hooper got interfered with on set? I, I, <laughs> I know happens. that's never ever huh. happened wow. anywhere okay. else. Yeah. Yep. Ah, okay. Um, all right. I, I, I didn't mean to so brazenly interrupt, but Nathan, your thoughts, Salem's lot. Um, so probably about, I don't know, a decade or more ago, I began what, what at that time was catching up on a lot of King's oeuvre. And so read this for the first time around that era. I would, I would guess it, our second kid might've been born, but maybe not yet. I just can't remember exactly, but I will tell a funny story here, which is to say, I can remember reading the book late at night because when else? Does one read Stephen King on our couch, which at the time, the armrest of the couch was the, the back and, and left armrest was nestled into a wall it leading into another room. And then the armrest was next to a wall that had a window looking out into the, mm. the outside, the outdoors. And I'm sitting there with my back to this window. And it's probably round about midnight. And everyone that, that is in my family at that point in time uh, uh, is in bed and asleep as they rightfully should be. And I'm pretty sure because on this reread, uh, I was trying to figure out where this was. And I'm pretty sure 
it's Matt ascending the steps mm. when Susan's at his house. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there reading that scene and my, and it, and it just uh, a flash of cognizance happens of like, my back is to a window. It's late. I'm by myself. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I did not finish the scene. I did not find out what happened <laughs> until later. Um, so I actually have a, a good bit of fondness for the text. And uh, as I tried to do when we cover these works on the show, um, I didn't reread the physical novel, but I did consume the audiobook and <laughs> my sweet wife. So one, you, if you listened to last week's episode, you learned some of this. One, I, I learned a great trick for myself and listening to audiobooks is one and a half speed is your friend. Um, <laughs> so like a 17 hour audiobook, you yep. know, you're clocking more like what 14 or something. I don't know. I don't, math wizards go to town. Uh, well then when you just start running out of time and care, you're like, okay, how fast can I listen to this? <laughs> and it's still be coherent. So at that point in time, one and three quarters is your friend too. And you're like, okay, just get to the end. Um, it's Adam driver yelling more and more. Um, <laughs> so I did re-listen to the, uh, the entirety of the audiobook, And then last night watched three hour film for the first time. And my wife, she's just so funny. She's like, wait a minute, Nathan, are you telling me you listened to a 17 hour audiobook and are now about to watch a three hour adaptation of that 17 hour audiobook? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm the boss <laughs> and read at least we gotta do the work. <laughs> Stay on target, babe. Get her away. Yeah. <laughs> I did just consume 20 hours worth of literate material for, you know, a two hour conversation. <laughs> How do you like your potatoes? You know? Um, and so, 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 so um, I, <laughs> I really like the book. That is yeah. the, the, a very long way to get there. Um, Though this time and probably the speed I was consuming it wasn't helping this this time I was it doesn't surprise me that I did not have a favorable experience with with this film, not just because of its production lack of value, but with the knowledge that, okay, this is King's Dracula, right? So Mm -hmm. so when you're thinking that way, uh, what is the movie going to do? It's going to distill it to its most basic parts which is just, it's King's Dracula. Okay, well, you know, I've seen much better versions of that story than this rendition. What I love about the text, and, and actively love, I would have to look at a list to know where Salem's Lot, the book, ranks for me on his, his canon, I don't know, but what I love about the book that makes it rise to more than just, in quotation mark, King's Dracula, is how good he is at those macro chapters of mm-hmm. of like this is the town crumbling and 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 these characters are starting to get whiffs of it yeah. it it's the serious version of uh, uh Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and Shaun of the Dead yeah. walking by the zombies in the background yeah. mm-hmm. like it's the serious version of that it's these characters occupying a space they are really unaware they are occupying. And King is so good at drawing that noose up around these characters as the book progresses across its 400 pages and 17 hours that I don't, I just didn't see in the te- in the film version whatsoever. Um, yeah. At least, not, at least not in a way that was satisfying. 
yeah. uh, to me. Yeah. Definitely not. Um, and if I may, mm-hmm. one, one of the things that endears me to the, to the story of the novel Salem's Lot is that we have the group of vampire hunters come together. Um, there's finally like an, an, a, a diagnostic that's taking place. Like, okay, there are as crazy as we have been habituated to hear this. The fact is there are vampires. All of us know this and we have to do something. So they score one victory, but then the rest of the novel is they become targeted and we lose them one at a time. And I really love, I really love that. I don't know. It, it's very infinity war and end game uh, for me. It's like, okay, we, we got the one win and now they're, they're onto us. They know mm-hmm. it's us and they're mm-hmm. coming for us. And, and then we just lose our, our band of brave vampire killers. Yeah. And, one, and there's just no, end. yeah. There, and there's just no, there's nothing like that. In the, <laughs> as much as I can enjoy uh, the 79 Salem's lot, it, it is definitely like in spite of like, man, the last 45 minutes just moves at breakneck speed. You know, <laughs> I mean, and, and, and it's, it's a fun ride, but holy cow. It's like, there's vampires and, and, and Ben Mears just expects like the constable to know that it's like, there's, <laughs> there's crazy stuff going on. And there's vampires and you're leaving. Well, it's like, hey, look, man, you, you, <laughs> yeah, make a good, you, you make a good point. And I do want to, uh, though, though I am coming off strong against the film, you know, I am watching it with five years of horror consumption. I'm reading the text for a second time and envisioning a naturalistic yeah. environment. So what I get, which is okay and appropriate if it hits you at that age, is a very elementary delivery of this story. And and yeah. so I can respect, like, yeah, I can see a 10-year-old being scared out of his mind at this at the first time, like, oh my God, <laughs> look at the blue vampire guy. <laughs> Why are his teeth in the middle and everyone else is on the side? I don't know. What <laughs> 10 year old? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Plenty. <laughs> well, and Plenty. I, I mean, th- it, it is worth noting that, like, obviously, <laughs> this is a television production. Originally, the first person that I believe King wanted for it and that was actually signed on to do it and for a while was in like sort of pre-production talks for it was George Romero. Right. That would have been yeah. very yeah. interesting. Well, that's when, when it went it, to TV. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, that's what I was just, no, no, but it's just, that, yes, that was what I was about to say. It's just that when it pivoted to TV, he said, I can't do what I want to do if this outlet is television. And so right. yeah. I do feel like some of that is which is why I cited earlier. I'm very curious to to see what the edit was for the for the film version because my understanding is it's a little bit more violent. It's got some recut alternate takes. Um, and and then when they redid it again with the Rob Lowe version, it was also again for TV. It a little bit more graphic because it was later. Right. It was in the 2000s. But um, and I will say that the performances, by and large, like, with the exception from my view of like a James Mason, um, the performances by and large in the remake are big steps up uh, for the most part. You got Donald Sutherland, you got uh, Andre Brower. Uh, I mean, you you have some heady hitters in terms of what they can bring to the piece. You've got Rudger Hauer as Barlow. So, so those are interesting for that point, but the production is even a step down in the 2004 version from what you already see. All of that to say, I'm very curious to see if finally a, a film envisioned for the theater and envisioned with that space in mind 
is finally going to deliver some of what we're hoping Do, to see. From I intentionally stayed ignorant because I wanted as fresh a take and knew and knew we were doing the casting game. Is it an, is what's being prepped a feature or is it a, no, it's it a feature. A, uh, my understanding is it's yeah. a theatrical feature. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a film. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not in love with the director they got, but other than that, I mean, I'm who is this yeah. is the director that they got. Gary Doberman. Oh, okay. Well, oh, that's right. I recognize his name. He's, he wrote uh, it and it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he did Annabelle comes home. I believe. Oh, there we go. Okay. (laughs) No, but, but see what doesn't hearten me, not about him is about the feature version. It's like this. And again, I'm framing it, reading the text as a very naturalistic delivery paste. I, I want the nooks and crannies of this town to shine because that's the interesting stuff. And you just don't get it. If if it doesn't have room to breathe, and dead gummit, I had. Oh, you to me, you, you're up next. Ian, I see you. I see you, sir. Um, what I struggled with, and this is this is an adult who fancies himself creatively minded that tries to follow story logic. Watching the three hour version, I kept saying, "Why are these characters doing this?" And I couldn't find answers. Except it's a Dracula story, and we need a big bad vampire, and that's what it, the story demands not because the characters in this story really are making human choices. Uh, And I really wrestled with that. Ian, what were you going to say? Just that as dubious as you all know, I am and count on me being with regard to like everything. Oh Mm. yeah. I mean, (laughs) essentially. Yeah. Like, Hey, someone's doing a thing. Like probably going to be stupid. Um, (laughs) You know, um, (laughs) that's You know, it, it just any, any like, hey, this guy it just signed on to do like an eight episode project with Netflix. As dubious as I am of that, um, I do think that like something episodic could work yes. for yep. Salem's Lot. It just, but make it four or five episodes so that we get the, for instance, for instance, like the novel. One of my favorite things is the school bus full of undead kids. I mean, that uh, stuff like that. As I was reading the novel, that's when I'm also reading the original, like EC, like Tales from the Crypt. I mean, that is like straight out of a Tales from the Crypt story, right? Mm-hmm. Like the jerkish or jerk. It's hard to parse that, you know, um, uh, bus driver who, uh, the undead kids bring the, the bus to his house and then vampirize him. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it's a very easy move. You make it sound um, real glamorous that way. You've been vaporized. <laughs> <laughs> it is not. I it is not glamorous. Oh, stop. I want to throw two things in and then pivot to Reed to take us wherever he wants to take us on his sure. empire bus. So, you know, something, <laughs> something that just sung out to me like a vampiric choir uh that we had empirical maybe unintentionally left by the wayside for a few quarterly kings but perhaps they actually weren't there uh is y'all it is time once more for the christs of king (laughs) there is is but one there is but one in this text not in the film just one it's not a game it's not a game wow Uh, it's practice um there's only one that jumped out at me. Okay. Uh, uh, if there are more, I did. Uh, they were just very subtle because King is master of subtlety. Um, <laughs> such as when Dr. Cody, uh, he of the book, 
uh, uh, while Mr. Norton is a union dock worker, by yeah. the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> let, Ms. Mor- let Mr. Morton be Mr. Steve. Morton. I'll leave that one there. Give me love. <laughs> um, so not as in the film when Mr. Norton gets subbed in as the just doctor of multiple counties. Another or whatever weird he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very weird. Um, but in the book, Dr. Cody, after being told of vampires, like any normal person says, Well, Jesus jumped up Christ in a sidecar. <laughs> and I'm like, Stephen King, what do you what do you get this? Like, do Wait. people say these things? Yes. What, yes. What? We also, we also, and, and if this is your second thing, that's the only, oh no, that's, go ahead, please. Okay. So, so we <laughs> also get, more. we also get a variation of King's other, like, yes. where's Waldo? Is that you know, the other thing? Yeah. yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This, this time I love that you found it. Yeah. Because this time around, we don't get apotheosis. We, we get, we get apotheotic. It is, it is so great. It's it like is, fireworks went off when I found that one. I was like, <laughs> like it wow. is even more poetic and glorious that Reed, that Reed points yeah. out yeah. Hmm, substantive noun versus <laughs> versus adjective. <laughs> so, <laughs> just, I, I could not be. I'm going what's out. Wonderful, I, I'm done. What's wonderful about it, man. I love, and I'm going to let this be headcanon for me. I love that Stephen King chooses to put one derivation of apotheosis in each book once, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that we have stumbled into this game he plays with himself. Yeah. Because where's Waldo? Yes. Because the word apotheosis is not in Salem's Lot. No. It's apotheotic. It's apotheotic. (laughs) Pour one out or. Whoever it is that says that line. Waldo with a blue hat. Yeah. 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 So yes, the Christ of King and apotheosis read where we had next. That's awesome. Okay. So we have two, uh, two more sort of, uh, fun places to go. Uh, hopefully it's all fun, but two more specific places to go. (laughs) It might not be. (laughs) Maybe not. Um, so, uh, so the first place we're going to go is this is a, what saves us entry, Dave Pooler. Thank you again. Um, and so that means this is our opportunity. Get your lists out, gentlemen, because this is our opportunity to talk about things that aren't just right they are just so right take it away andrew that's so right it's just so right it's just so right that's just so right all right thank you <laughs> thank you very much that's <laughs> so that's so great. Oh, that man. is so right. That is so right. Okay, so um, here we are. So uh, I'm I'm going to go first. Uh, yes, I am going to go first um, because what I would cite as one of the things that I really, really, really love that I think maybe not uh, other people <clears throat> might not mention because uh, it's one other thing that I love that I think somebody else is going to mention. But um, I am going to cite the score. I think the score for this miniseries is really strong. It's very gothic. It's it's uh, it, it kind of does feel like it was made for a different production, and because of the overall cheesiness of some of the the things, uh, the, the the production images and everything, it can be easy to sort of dismiss the quality of the score. But I would I would dare anybody who heard it and was like, "That's super cheesy." If you if you were to, it's how it's it's almost Halloween, y'all. If you were to go to whatever subscription music service you had and pull up the soundtrack to the 1979 Salem's Lot and just put it on, it is 
perfect like graveyard oh, yeah. gothic music it is really really strong just taken on its own terms yep. apart from the film that it's connected to it's a really really uh, sort of beautiful haunting macabre <clears throat> kind of orca- uh, orchestral piece so uh the whore the the whore you hear that <laughs> the score is what i tried to say so the score by Harry Suckman is uh, is really uh, magnifique. So, so that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that was that famous pig. <laughs> <laughs> God, I love y'all. So that is my that's so right. Okay, okay, it's radiant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Salutations. <laughs> hey, Blake, what's on your that's so right list? <laughs> uh, oh, let's see. Uh, gotta clear my eyes out. Hold on. <laughs> Charlotte. Uh, the I've got to leave it in because nobody will know why oh, we can't recover it's from being commenting. Well, I feel like I'm I'm gonna steal a big one, so I'm just gonna <laughs> enjoy it because I thought it would be taken before I got you know, before mm-hmm. it got to me. But I'm gonna mm. say the design of of Barlow was mm. brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's mm-hmm. one of I, I would say it's in the top five <laughs> vampires, like cinema wise. Oh yeah, he's great. So, mm-hmm. oh yeah. yeah, I agree. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, I actually think that's great. You can yeah. you can have it, and I will I will raise the roof for you there because yeah. again. Uh, Andy called me an idiot, which is fair. Um, I wasn't planning on on what we get in terms of Barlow, <laughs> but I was like, ah, that works. I like it. <laughs> We're doing like, this, huh? are, you having, are you having a stroke? It is attacking me. <laughs> wow. Oh my god. Okay, I want to hear more. I want to have more. Yeah, I know you Nathan, go ahead. Go ahead. What is mm, your that's so right? All right. Well, okay. This is my runner up, and this isn't the real one. But I know I claimed Mr. Bean earlier, but I really think Rodney Dangerfield would have made a great Father Callahan because when oh oh, when oh, Bart oh, when Straker oh, oh, challenges him, he's like, I'm a priest, you know. <laughs> like, hey, oh. hey, no, we we ain't gonna play that way. No, uh, <laughs> hey, Jack, you can take that right out of here, all right? I get I get no respect. No respect. <laughs> Oh, someone step on a duck in here? Hey, what's this uh, cross doesn't mean anything to me. Take the kid. <laughs> he just drops the cross and walks out. I can care less about the kid. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. All right. <laughs> yes. I know. Yes, sir. I know, Reed. We're going along. It's a bit. It's a bit. I know. I know. You had the you had the Roland DeShane, you know, move along fingers going. Um, I did. So I do want to shout out because I was like, huh, that's that's not in the book, but I like it. And that's the scene with Mark and his dad. They have a little father son bonding time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's absent from the book. It Although it's meant to foreshadow what Mark is capable of with mm-hmm. the Houdini isms. Mm-hmm. But even then, the movie doesn't really show you that at the end. It's like, come on, right. <laughs> you, you showed yeah. me that, but not the reason you showed me that. Come on. Anyway, I did really like that scene. It, it was a nice bit of character work uh, uh, that wasn't in the book. So that's of the film. That's a that's so right for me. Awesome. Awesome. Andy, you are up for real this time. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I, I liked 
<laughs> how like hard it was to kill vampires to drive yes. a stake. Into you mean Barlow specifically? Well, I'm assu- I'm assuming he did the same thing to Susan. Mm-hmm. Um, because <laughs> because he it took some time. <laughs> I can't look at you. Yes, but it takes work to kill a vampire. It takes like super hard work, and um, I've always thought it was like a whoosh, whoosh, yeah, you know, one and done. Cast- Castlevania. I was thinking of Castlevania when you were doing <laughs> yeah. that with the whip sound. Yes, yes, yes. You know, but like it's you know that that's right. You got to break that chest cavity. Mm-hmm. You, know, yep. you got mm-hmm. yeah. to get it. See, I I agree with you that it adds new layers to what you expected the vampire mythos. But I'm like Barlow, Lord of Vampires, goes out like a chump. I mean, just lets him. Yeah, just sits there yeah. like, oh, he doesn't do anything. It like they make a point of showing you it got dark, and Ben just like uh, uh, his hair's flopping in the wind, you know, <laughs> just uh, yeah. Barlow's like, uh huh, uh huh. He takes a five minute coffee break in the middle of <laughs> in between pounds. Yeah. You get it yet? You get it yet? <laughs> it's it's more right here. Uh, <laughs> he starts over. He pulls it down. He starts over. It's okay. It's your first time. I- <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like I had a similar experience when. Oh my god! As creepy as creepy as the um, as creepy as the visuals are of the guys crawling forward in the basement. Oh, that's great. Then, yeah. then when yeah. so those visuals are great, but then when they reach the boy, they just sort of hover back and like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all at the air for probably yeah. 10 minutes he's like you gonna close that door you gonna well, close that door off well, like it, right? like not knowing why any character's doing anything you know what happened read there is they hit their mark the actors hit their mark yeah oh, they did. that was it they're like <laughs> this is where we stop <laughs> we know this is a really effective scene but this is your he's... line this is your line <laughs> <laughs> he's not shutting the door on us shut okay the door. okay uh Ian, did you have a that's so right? <laughs> Who's left? Yeah, yeah yes, yes. <laughs> Ian's left. So, uh, I also, uh, yes, Blake got to it first, but I absolutely, I often dislike um, wide divergences from the source material, but I absolutely love that we just got a gross, decrepit, necroticized Nosferatu instead of an articulate you know, sexy older vampire, you know, um, I, I just absolutely love that. And we get the, the absolutely most horrified and ghastly guy, um, and who doesn't say anything, who just has a proxy right. who, who speaks on his behalf, but I love it. I love it. I, I know love I'm it. cutting you off. I love, I love the visual, but it does make Straker a different character. Cause he's like, eh, that guy, you like, well, yes. <laughs> like, well, what, what does he have on oh, you, bro? Man. Like, I he love, can't like, even. He doesn't do anything back, you know. Honest, honest to God, though, James Mason is like was on my short list of that. So right, like I love sure. him in this role. He chose right. this role. So yeah, go ahead, Ian. Oh, he, I mean, he, he, he got the call. He got the call. It was like I'm there tomorrow, and they're like, whoa, whoa, we're not doing anything for months, you know. He's like, like, I'm just gonna sit on the porch and wait right. for you to show up. I will just watch you. 
<laughs> as you discuss the film. <clears throat> well, it's because he is actually in real life a vampire's familiar. And so yes, he's been waiting. He is now. a ghoul. Like, right. Yes. Oh. <laughs> a ghoul. I, Do they I know? Believe, I believe they're on to me. Um, <laughs> but so my I, agent. <laughs> all that stuff is great. Also, like it, it's just fun seeing Captain Nemo uh, be yeah. in a vampire movie. Um, but the, the so right is for the listeners uh, will you will you connect the dots there yes yeah. he was oh. in the disney Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea as captain okay. nemo yeah okay did you get that one? It, good thank you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> listeners you've seen movies right um i mean did you look at the poster if, 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 <laughs> I mean, he is what, on you, the, he is on the poster you, for Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the sea. big face right there <laughs> thank you are you being stupid you, right now <laughs> Oh my god. This, this, is like giant the, squid? this is the best episode of the Fear of God ever. <laughs> he, and, he and his tried for 10 minutes to stake this vampire or st- stake his that so right. So we need to let him. I took a coffee break. <laughs> <laughs> You're really working there, aren't you? This is, this is hard. That gun um, cross away from me. Dead gun. <laughs> okay. I love uh when Ben is uh, Nathan just uh, poured some sass onto this scene. He's like, my man is uh, taping <laughs> tongue depressors together to make a crucifix. And I <laughs> love that scene so much. That scene's so um, great. That scene's it's, so great. It, it, as much as we we can spend plenty of time talking about like what didn't quite do it or should have gone farther, but that whole scene is fantastic where it just captures so viscerally, like, okay, I know that this thing is happening, but Holy crap, I am not prepared for the fullness of what it is that I know is happening because it is happening right now. Marjorie Glick is <laughs> rising <laughs> off of Bill. <laughs> I, I, I completely believe the way it's that like he Reed is. watching a horror movie. Is anybody else in here? You know? <laughs> he's he's going through the Lord's Prayer. He's kind of, he's like trying to remember every word and like, oh, there's goes a hand. Bill! <laughs> his, the, the, and his pitch goes up. Then he just, just tries Dr. Cody just to see. I, <laughs> it's about time. Yes. Uh, it, it just I completely believe it. It is it is so fantastic. It's one of the things that still just really reaches out to me. In your defense, I'm going to reach out to you here. <clears throat> I didn't so, know I needed defense. You don't. You don't. But I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so, one the 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 tongue depressors isn't in the book, so I didn't. I I was ribbing a little. Bit. It. <laughs> I will no. I will applaud as much shade as I've thrown at the casting of Ben. That's a good scene for him. He does well yeah. in that Lord's Prayer sort of scene. Right. I was more just. I didn't know what the hell he was doing. I was like, what is he taping? Is he like taping up his comic boxes, his comic back comic book? <laughs> like, why is he busying himself with some tape oh, up in oh the morgue? Ben's and then it was okay. like, I like oh, him. the tongue depressor cross. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's but that's I, but I mean, tongue depressor cross. I, I will say, like, you know, the, not going to spend 20 minutes on this scene, but I will say that. Or like, are we? Or are we? But I do like what I do like about that that moment. Uh, just sort of yes anding you ian is that it it highlights the potential holiness in insignificant things and in unprepared yes. things and i think that is uh noteworthy in a film that does not a, a film that doesn't have a lot elsewhere of that going on in it i think that moment 
uh, stands out for that point. The the potential holiness in insignificant or, or unprepared things, I think, is uh, I think is a noteworthy call out. Um, so I'm this is this is not me piggybacking something. It would almost be like a trivial bit. Uh, but did anybody else notice this time? This is my first time watching the film that this stood out to me. And I I love Psycho, but the death of Doctor Cody or sorry Doctor Norton in this. Um, <laughs> but the death of Doctor Norton is very very much an homage to the death of the detective from psycho like yeah, the way he's walking up is. the steps uh the way that uh, straker eventually walks out to capture him and like every you know the overhead shot and everything I, that had never stood out to me before and i was like oh wow that's 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 really cool i did not know that that was such an intentional homage but it, it was so almost beat for beat the original psycho you know death of detective arbogast so um yeah 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 uh okay so so we have another comparable segment to do so so take us out of this andrew that's just so right thank you and now we get to talk about things that not only uh are not so right they just they ain't right they ain't right Sure as hell ain't right. Ain't right, y'all. Ain't right, y'all. That's a sound bite. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> same, same exact thing. We're gonna go in reverse order here. So uh Ian, I'm gonna come to you first for your that ain't right from Salem's Lot. I would say Fred Willard's underwear. Um, <laughs> no, 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 that's so right. <laughs> oh, I said, he's like, Hey, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, 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 I just came over and all of a sudden there we were. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Put the gun down. <laughs> um, closely followed by man. I, I just love the Mike Ryerson in the rocking chair. Um, it, it ain't right, but I, it, I love it because it's just so, it's just it's, it's it's a vampire who's not trying to be there's no seduction it is just the the invitation look at me it, it, it's it's a command so that i can have absolute control over you just mm-hmm. re- completely relying on and exploiting its fearfulness and yeah. um yeah that that whole scene is fantastic my wife always has trouble watching that that's <laughs> like, that uh, in yeah look at me teacher i i will see you sleep like the dead like it's just oh my god that's great that stuff scene, that scene is really freaky and that actor uh jeffrey lewis father of juliet lewis um he is somebody that is a really prolific oh. character actor no no it's great um he's a really prolific character <laughs> actor and he is um <clears throat> often given these sort of supporting roles where he has to add a lot more gravity to it i think yeah. he is one of the freakiest things like when he's sitting there in the rocking chair and then just looks up and the eyes connect yes. the light. Oh, it's great. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. It seems great. Um, Andy, what, what's on your list for that? Ain't right. The dog, like, I don't like animal deaths and I mm. don't understand how, um, after watching midnight mass where no, I'm not sure if we talked about it or, or who's seen it or who's not, but I didn't realize that like vampires ate, animals mm. like 
but humans. I thought it had to be like pure human blood, but Margaret is watching the Vampire Diaries, so I can hop on that train. <laughs> you can catch you up <laughs> and catch me up. What exactly they like to write? That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, well, to your point though, Andy, in the book, it's the book actually does a lot to substantiate the death of the dog. Uh, like okay. it becomes a clue in in the overall puzzle, which which is really not given any sort of nod in the in the film, other than just oh, the dog is mutilated well, or whatever. The dog's dead. Happened mm-hmm. in there, yeah. Absolutely. I'm with you, but yeah, with you. that's rough. Pretty, pretty gruesome. Nathan, <laughs> what would, what would yours be? Um, I'm actually going a little meta serious note for my, that ain't rights. Cause an interesting thing kind of bridges both of them is kind of the, what I don't want is a 2021, uh, occupant to wag my finger back at a certain thing, but these, these things really stood out. Hmm. Um, in the film when uh daddy norton like totally ogles eva miller in front of the wife and the mom Mm. do you remember this i was like that's that's really bad taste (laughs) um and so there's that and then just the i i jokingly referred to or nodded to this in the title of our zoom meeting but just the really strong and and overt perhaps homophobia kind of laced through the text of the book it, it oh. gets winked at in the film um when that's why i didn't understand the invitation i was going <laughs> to ask you privately but if you could expand oh yeah yeah so so i made a reference to homophobia <laughs> in the title of our zoom meeting here and um the the i think it's the mom to susan in the book in the film says literally of straker and barlow is like are they and it's like ellipsis and then cut scene like oh and in the book it's i mean it there's probably a half a dozen times when it makes a sort of and 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 i you know i am sensitive to the fact this is written in 1975 a different world Mm -hmm. but it just stands out how much it gets winked at in the book but so so that's kind of a meta nathan's own whatever there but one thing that definitely qualifies as a that ain't right that is in text but also just serious is i was deeply troubled by the mcdougall family in the book uh Mm -hmm. which is uh sandy (coughs) 17 year old mother roy her husband and their baby randy like the first scene when and this is what I, i I am sharing this with you, my friends, and and by extension, <laughs> listeners. Like it was the first time I struggled a little bit with with the kingness. You know, it's it's one thing, and and I texted you this read. It's like there are some neutral to benign characters in Salem's Lot that do get some. You know, there's the heroes, the protagonists. There's some neutrals. Then there's just some really terrible people, and and it it feels like it really feeds the terribleness in the text. So, for instance strangely changed names in the book but reggie sawyer and his wife bonnie uh it's not larry crockett who is the uh, uh other man in the text it's a gentleman it's a kid whose name is cody i believe cody something or other so one it's not just that so I'm, I'm layering this this notion of the terribleness of these characters and how it really stood out to me in an unpleasant way this time you know uh, reggie sawyer named colin in the movie uh, 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 is made is aware of this ongoing adultery uh, doesn't just 
terrorize Cody, the the other man, which which you know maybe is right, maybe is wrong, whatever. But the ripple effect of Reggie's relationship to his wife from then on is extremely just troubling to the point of kind of unnecessary um multiple reference or references to multiple instances of sexual assault post that encounter yeah. uh, so there's that and then there's as reference the mcdougall clan uh for whom the first time you meet them um it's 17 year old mom clearly troubled home baby is screaming she throws the bottle at its head and 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 i think there's even a reference to her punching it the him the baby and and it was just I can handle horrific characters and, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I, I often reference how strong and dad coming. I can't remember the name of it, um, but read the short story we've referenced before about the two moms going to the amusement park with their families. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. yeah. Where they commit suicide, the drive. Thing. Yes. yes. It's, it's right. a terrible. The, but the point of that story, that short story is is getting inside the minds of people and the choices they make. That's that's a worthwhile exercise from a narrative literary standpoint. It really, I really struggled this time with being like, well, damn, Barlow, just take them. Like these people are are just terrible people, and it really, I don't know. That is on my that ain't right. Is just yeah. From from an in from an in story perspective, they're terrible people, and from a meta narrative craft perspective, I'm like, this this is this is this is an extreme behavior for just normal human characters yeah so, well and, oh you go um, ahead andy just so i'm i'm yeah. clear barlow takes those guys right takes um them, or, i'm i'm loosely referring to the feelings i had reading how about these terrible characters was just kind of okay. like geez go but ahead you and, yeah go ahead and take them because that cause yeah, I, yeah, yeah that's just my commentary read but so well no I'm no sorry. you go ahead can no I, you go ahead push, yeah can i can i push yeah. back a sure. little bit on that um what what is it about people who are who are obviously very sim- simple um very wrong i i'm not advocating for throwing babies or anything like that but what does it say about us that we're ready for something bad to happen to them like you're ready for yeah Marla sure that's a fair take the, and so that- just just pushing back Mm-hmm. what you want them to be better and and if this is this okay for the that ain't right oh absolutely sure. yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. okay i mean you okay. challenged me so, on the poster you're challenging me now so so one you you are not unrightly so but but zoning in on a glib statement in a moment of just sort of personal processing uh i would not say it's an appropriate uh, desire for the outcome of these characters to be, you know, vampiric annihilation. Um, yeah. It was more just the okay. the sort of knee jerk human response I had was, man, these are just really terrible but, characters. Which I which I think everybody has those responses. I mean, you you we can we reference our not that we can reference, but prisoners, for example, mm-hmm. um, the movie. You know, uh, the overall response response to from a parent's perspective is you're going to take care of who took your kid you know hurt your kid but why is it's just interesting that our knee-jerk reaction is to immediately for that person to be hurt or to be to be smited i'm not saying that you you 
in your heart of hearts want that, you know, you, you want to see them just get better instead of mm. worse and, you know, and get rid of it. But why it, it, it always, you know, yes. well, and, and, and again, and I'm sorry, Reed, real quick. So, so uh, I, I understand the question you're asking, Andy. I think it can more broadly be assessed for me personally in the slightly jokey fashion of addressing, hey, Barlow, take them. I can recognize that as a glib offhand comment. But what I am actually sort of targeting is what in this moment I would identify as a poor craft choice, right? which is right. Okay. from a writing standpoint, I need more from these characters to feel empathy for mm. them. And I'm not getting it, which is why I counterpointed that with the amusement park destinations short story, which is a really right. powerful character examination of why people do terrible right. things. And so for me, in this instance, it was more, it was more me reacting to mm -hmm. these are terrible characters. The point of this story, Salem's Lot, isn't character examination of this family it's bigger sort of thing which is totally fine yeah. but yeah. to drive so into the extreme felt unnecessary is all I'm well and, I, right. and and what i would say perhaps bridging this gap but I, I don't know if i successfully will is that a couple of things of note number one is this was king's first attempt and a rather early attempt in popular fiction and literature writ large to dismantle the glossy suburban view of like suburban life, suburban small town life had typically been idyllic and had typically been sort of very glossed over in culture up to this point. And this was absolutely King's first attempt at it. I don't know enough about cultural history to say that it was, you know, the first attempt by any author to do so. I, I actively don't think that's the case, but I do think that like in popular fiction, this was not common for somebody to be like, oh, yeah, the typical nuclear family, that is a, a hellscape, as a matter of fact, in some households. And so mm -hmm. one of the things that I would push back on a bit is not your feeling about it, but that you are believing, because we generally believe and think Stephen King to be an empathetic human being, that you think he is, he perhaps should engender empathy. I think King is like, these are terrible people heading for destruction. And that's what I think he's portraying. And I think one of the things that the impulse, like one of my frustrations with the novel is the fact that once they become vampires, that is simply the end of the story. And yes. the, the hellish things that happened to them beforehand are no longer relevant to the proceedings of the story because now they are vampires and have been consumed by that evil. And that is a frustration that I have, but I, I don't actually feel that it's necessarily like, I, I will say this King has defended from time to time. I won't speak for him. He's defended it much better than I could defend him, but he's been taken to task sometimes for some of his racist characters, his homophobic characters, things like that. And he's like, would you like me to soft pedal the reality that exists in these people? Like I'm trying to be honest in the portrayals that that's basically what he says. I'm perhaps expressing it too reductively but he basically says like you want me to make them appealing but that is not appealing and that happens and so you want me to sort of make them you know more understandable and i think that would be at least partially some of king's defense for some of the extremity of the characterizations that we see in this particular case ian you have i, I see that hand <laughs> i'm not uh firing back 
at Nathan. I am gonna I'm gonna let Nathan off the off the ropes uh, for a minute from Andy's assaults. Uh, but I am. <laughs> Wow. Can I can I can I do say that it, it No, it's my turn. It, it, was, it wasn't an assault against Nathan. It's, it's a joke, Andrew. It's a joke. Right. We're joking. It, 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 it's eleven thirty. I'm not where Ian's at. You know, I get kinda you know I get kinda emotional. <laughs> Ian, your point, please. I love about the novel Salem's Lot, that vampires are a feature of the text. But what it is primarily about is evil as a location um, and as a center of gravity. So why do why are there vampires in Salem's Lot? They are attracted to the Marson House. And the Marson House, for whatever reason, is a gravitational center. It is like a star around which things orbit. Uh, mm-hmm. w- where things, if they are not moving at the right speed or at the right angle, they become caught in its orbit and they stay there. And the portrayal of banal evil that begins the story, it is one of the things that in that endears it to me. And that might sound weird because I child abuse is not endearing. Spousal abuse and adultery are not endearing. What I, I guess, maybe glancing towards what you were saying, I see reality in the really awful people, a, a spectrum of awful, because there are more noble persons who have flaws. There are people who are uh, mediocre in, in terms of both virtue and vice. They're not particularly one or the other. Um, it's just a day and they're going to come home and then they're going to, to veg out because it's been a day. Um, and then you move further up the gradient of really habitually awful people. Um, I find it realistic that their story ends when they are vampirized hmm. because I think that not all of us, I think a lot of us want a person's story not to be over when they have exemplified not just bad decisions that have like bad consequences for them, but when they actively perpetrate deep lasting hurt upon others Mm. and we don't see them change. That to me is the analog for um, these persons who become vampires. And And now that is the, that is the end. Because we, maybe we don't all know someone like this, but many of us know a person who, despite all of our efforts and all of our self-empty and our efforts to try to do something that is different, that is not just sheer repetition of the same thing, we, we don't bring back Anakin Skywalker. It is Darth Vader that finishes the story. It is Heisenberg that finishes the story, not Walter White. Mm-hmm. Um, that That is the core of this person that has emerged out of the uh, Schrodinger's cat box of who who is this person and what comes to light is, unfortunately, that is who this person is and they are a vampire. And yeah. I think that there is 
a consolation that comes from seeing like, yes, that is how things are. Um, I am familiar with that in a painfully intimate way. And it is not being sugarcoated. Um, I don't, so this is not a plea for every story to take that form, but, but it, I guess it is a plea that at, at some, at, at some point, if every character is redeemable, it, it, mm-hmm. such that they, they are <laughs> made good and, and their story is given a bow and, and, and every gap is filled and there is uh, completeness again. It doesn't do justice to the people who are still left holding the bag of, well, what about, what about when he did this? And mm-hmm. what, what, how about what that did to me? And now is, he's just okay. Uh, and that, and that's, and that's, and that's very real. And th- again, so that's why I love that the gradient moves up from naturalistic depictions that we might see on the news or in the newspaper or something like that. And, and basically the novel says vampires are a part of that same fabric. And mm. that, that's one of the things I find so compelling about the novel. But I think, I think too, like Father Callahan, who in Toby Hooper's adaptation to Nathan's point is a joke. And in the um, 2004 adaptation, uh, actively joins the other side, like is yeah. like start starts off uh-huh. good, and then yeah, like when he drinks from Barlow, he start he becomes mm. like the new Straker, and so like the, that's it. I told you, don't watch it. I told you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's but I will say the Father Callahan of this novel, and for listeners who don't know, and uh, David Pooler who submitted this called it out. Uh, Father Callahan, the Father Callahan story continues in the Dark Tower series. I'm not about to call all of that out because that's a whole separate book series but he find he finds a uh, much more profound re- a, a a vision of redemption in his continuation of those stories but i will say that like he calls it out what we're talking about right now and then we should you know probably wrap up that ain't right and just because this this feels like theme um is uh, is that basically like he calls it out he said evil you know uh, i'm being very reductive to the language because i didn't write it all down it's a it's a whole like you know page and a half speech but he talks about how like yeah the catholic church is trying to find their way when evil is not the singular entity in the other thing but instead it is this like a he calls it an army of gnats like it's everywhere it's in all of this other stuff and father callahan calls it out he's like you're asking me to go and fight vampires that's actually, you know, uh, a step back from where the church is trying to address in he's saying this in the fiction because he said like that, we don't know how to deal with social justice issues. We don't know how to deal with all of these other things that we can see and that we can observe that people are doing to people. And that is not the embodied singular devil boogeyman or the vampire over there. That is all this people doing to people. And I think part of why I really get frustrated with Father Callahan's treatment in films thus far is because I think King gave Callahan the voice, the most succinct voice of what he was aiming at in the film that's maybe me layering it on uh, a little bit but i feel like when father callahan unpacks that like no th- this is the evil and the wickedness that we have to figure out how to fight um not, you know good we can beat the barlows i mean it takes like 15 minutes to stake them through the heart but we can beat the barlows <laughs> but but right. but it's you know, <laughs> down down uh, further down a a b so um but we can do that eventually 
but it's much, much harder. And I wrote to somebody else in different contexts. I said, it is significantly easier to face a devil than it is to face ourselves. That's why people constantly want to make devils out of other situations. Like, oh, well, that's the devil over there. We're just going to condemn that because it is significantly easier to fight a devil than it is to face yourself and to face your own culpability, to face your complicity in what is going on and to face the reality of the complex human tapestry that sometimes, to, the, to, to what we're kind of all scratching here, you point out and say, that right there, the person in the middle of that is someone Christ loves and fearfully and wonderfully made. What is happening right over there, that's not redeemable. Like nothing, no, no good thing will come from that. Hopefully, by the grace of God, those people will find a path out of that. But that that is taking place, no, that is not a redeemable situation. That is not an empathetic situation. That is monstrous and wicked and cruel. And that is, uh, is something that I think too easily gets glossed over in these conversations about, you know, evil and wickedness and all that other kind of stuff. And, and if, if I can yeah. say nothing else, <laughs> I, <laughs> I can improvise. I, I've done. <laughs> this is, so, so here's, the, here's the problem that we're running into. Like, um, is, this is great. I actually want to have this conversation. It, just, it, it emerged in the middle of a that ain't right. So I'd like to kind of just close off the segment. And then I'm, well, I'm happy to Blake continue do have that right. No, he right. didn't, and Got I didn't either. So yeah, let me let me, yeah. let me tie off that ain't simply right. because it would. I feel on my heels a little bit here. Uh, I was I, I didn't mean to throw ten grenades in a fanny pack. Uh, <laughs> all I was trying to establish is for my that ain't right. I reacted negatively to the extremity of the violence these run of the mill humans perpetrated against each other. That's you indeed. don't have to Blake. you don't have to explain anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Like. So I, I I'm actually gonna repeat Nathan's oh, that ain't oh, right boy. because that is the only part of the book I I recall and I read it mm. six years ago is that scene and, and it still bothers me to this day. Um and I'll wait till we get to the other side to talk about yeah, to, to, to respond. <laughs> well look. <laughs> Mine's super simple, okay? My That Ain't Right was from the 1979 film. The Glick Boy at the Window freaks me out. Always has yeah, freaked me out. It yes. still freaks me out. That ain't right. Like, just the Glick Boy at the Window scratching, you know, scratching at the thing. It's otherworldly. It's very hypnotic. It's really freaky. That ain't right. That is my That Ain't Right. So, Andrew, uh, take us out real quick, and then we'll come right back. That sure as hell ain't right. All right, Blake, you're up. Uh, you know, okay, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, this feels of a piece with the, that ain't right. So should we t- go back into that? <laughs> that ain't right. No, that no. would not be right. No, no. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll make it quick. Um, basically, it's it's tying all with the discussion we've been having. Um, but when I, at the beginning of the podcast, whenever I talked about my, my constant, um, often disappointment with King as a writer is his, um, moving on to the big baddie of the book mm-hmm. instead of like really investigating uh like what Ian really well put that gravitational pull um of the evil in the town whatever it is yeah i feel like he always opens that box and then closes it whenever there's the barlow or the pennywise or anything like that it's never like he just he just gives us a taste every so often and then he kind of goes to this end <laughs> okay now we got to yeah. concentrate on this guy um and i would agree that that while i think that i agree with ian that that is on and sometimes a compelling naturalistic depiction 
I do think it is King's responsibility to make that fit within the text. And if I remember correctly from the six years ago when I read it, that always stood out to me that that scene seems so of a piece from all the other instances we got mm. um, that I, I don't disagree that it's, it's, it's possible and that it, it belongs in that story. But I think King did not fully investigate why that was in there. Um, mm-hmm. And especially so close to the beginning as it yeah. was. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. And so that, that, so that, that just, that's, that's more a gripe with King as a writer than really anything. It's, it's just like, he always does this. Like that's he always tell draws you us in into the MFA human stories. Writing shops. <laughs> and, and so I, 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 I always want him to like, I don't need a monster. I don't need a creature. I just want to figure out like, what is going on in, in dairy? Like, what, mm-hmm. what, why are all these people so prone to vice, so prone to wickedness, so prone to having their value and their moral uh, fortitude and all this stuff destroyed so slowly? Mm-hmm. Um, this decay. Um, that's more interesting to me than Pennywise. Pennywise well, is great, but yeah. At the end of the day, I could care less. Like I, I want to know about the people in town and, and and what's going on there. What's in the water? Well, and what's I think in the there's box? Some, what's in the box. <laughs> I do think there's something. I do think there's something pretty fascinating that might have broader implications, like in our in our own examinations of our own lives and of our own spirit. Is that I, I do think there is something fascinating about the things that act as beacons to vampiric evil. Uh, so what I'm going to say by that is that there, there, uh, I, I think it's a through line through King's work that there are chaotic beings, Pennywise, uh, you know, you've got Leland Gaunt, you've got, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the guy's name from Storm of the Century, but, and you've got Barlow and all this that feed off of, the wickedness of mankind they they require that for sustenance and instances or towns like salem's lot act like the the light that the moth is drawn to to say like oh i am gonna go here because here is a place i can feed and i do think that king seems to be interested in it and what i think might be valuable about that is i do feel like there are ways in which we ourselves let ourselves grow susceptible to those sort of predatory things to where if we are not discerning, if we are not self-assessing of the ways in which we are complicit, of the ways in which we are culpable, and if we are not self-examining enough of the ways in which we contribute to that growing perpetual evil, it is possible for something that is just smart enough just savvy enough and just charismatic enough to come in and feed off of that and break it forth into a a very combustible kind of force and leverage it and weaponize it and use it. And I think that is something that is a truism of our human nature. And I think, you know, King has, has sort of played fast and loose over the decades with his individual personal theology. He was raised Methodist and and uh, he definitely still asserts that he, as he put it most recently, chooses to believe in God. And so there are elements of his faith where he's still very distrusting of organized religion, but it's clearly in the DNA from where he was raised. And I think to that end, 
something that I think you could look at almost every single one of his works and say, there are the forces of, I think he would probably say chaos more than evil. There are the forces of chaos, the forces of good and order, and then all of the people stuck in the middle who are going to be, that's why the stand is such a perfect distillation of his sort of uh, uh, bibliography is because then there's the people, the the wide spectrum of people who are going to be drawn to one or the other. And in Salem's Lot, which it, it must must be noted by the end of it is a town written off. It is a town that is basically like, it's going to burn. It's going to be done. And I think it is intentional on his part that he's saying, like, there was too much there. So the people who could get out got out, precious few of them, but there was too much there. And Barlow fed and Straker invited and the town is gone. And, 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 and again, I don't, I, I said in my history with this book that I consider the book to be somewhat mid-tier. I'm not passionately defending the aims of the book because God knows there are certain things in many of King's books that you would point to. And I think you were astute observation, Blake. They're like, did you really think this through? Like, was this just an, an id sort of typing on the page that you were presenting this thing? Or did you really think through the ramifications of this? I think that's a fair critique. That having been said, I do find it uh, boldly interesting when he does display such uh, just just bald veracity of what human beings can do to one another. And then say, in the midst of that, there is a Pennywise, there is a, in this case, there is a Barlow who sees that and goes, yes, I can find water, or more specifically, I can find blood here, and that will sustain me, because that is what I will feed upon. Um, that's, that's just my take, as it were. I'm going to jump in here real quick, because... Yeah. I, I do get passionate about this idea and I have written here in all caps. Uh, and I, I don't think it's an easily answerable question though. Maybe you very smart, compassionate gentlemen will prove me wrong here. It feels like an echo of Dr. Sleep, uh, uh, but barreling towards the end of this book and what I described earlier as my impressedness uh, with, with what I do think is the macro vision of of how the narrative is structured of you know this uh crumbling circle in on itself what kept kind of screaming at me what if you peeled away all of the mundaneness of my life occasionally i still run into is is how do you live in salem's lot without falling prey to barlow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't know in the moment, I don't think it's as easy as don't live in Salem's lot. Mm -hmm. It might be that feels real easy because, because I still think metaphorically speaking, there's always going to be the thing that's trying to draw out of you negativity and wickedness. And that will amplify that. Like a, it's funny. Y'all, y'all were talking about moth to a flame. I was picturing like a, like a, radio tower that's just amplifying the signal yes yeah. mm -hmm. and and which i guess is, is a is a pretty analogous metaphor so i wasn't dismissing the one in favor of the other just that's what came to me but i think that radio tower is going to be present anywhere and i don't think that means we give it a pass i do think it means what the hell man like i get mad i get mad at the barlows mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. absolutely yes. yeah as you should and that's yeah yeah that, no we're that that is that is a first diagnostic that like whatever is wrong 
something is working. What I was going to say earlier, um, I was going to connect back to Father Callahan. One of the things that I really miss about the 1979 portrayal of him um, that I think can maybe go towards like, how do we live in Salem's lot? But, um, in, in the movie, all of a sudden, Father Callahan is just at Mark's house with his parents. And why? We don't know. But in the novel, he's spoken to Mark and he is trusting that Mark is giving a faithful account of like, I saw my friend who was dead and it wasn't my friend. It looked like my friend, but it wasn't him anymore. And I love that in that meeting with Mark's parents that they're saying like, Oh, that's impossible. That's crazy. That can't happen. And father Callahan says like, well, I mean, is Mark inclined to lie? Is he prone to lying? Does he have a history of lying? Well, no. Okay. So, so would you say that he's prone to like telling the truth? Well, yeah. Okay. So look, as crazy as it might sound, is there not at least the possibility that what he is describing right now happened? Mm-hmm. And it, I think that it's, it's, uh, I don't know if King meant for it to be an echo of, um, what the professor says in yeah. uh, the Lion, the witch in the wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. Right. Like, Oh, well, so Lucy tells the truth, even when it's disadvantageous for her. Right. Well, yeah. Like, okay. So why would she make this up? Are you seriously saying that perhaps there's another world in the wardrobe? Well, look, I mean, if she doesn't lie and she's telling you this happened, then yeah. I mean, it's pretty reasonable that she went into the wardrobe and there was another world. Mm-hmm. What's the alternative that, that, that you don't know what she's like, that, that she is actually a rotten liar. And uh, I just think that one of the ways that we have to, um, I, I, cause I, I don't have a full answer. This is what's on my mind all the time though. But I think that we have to take seriously when someone says that what we have been habituated in our cultural formation to see as impossible. If we know that person, then I think that we have to like ponder the possibility that they're not crazy mm-hmm. and that there is a Barlow and that, and that the problem didn't begin when Barlow showed up because it didn't mm-hmm. there, the, the hum or the, the signal is already there and the tower is amplifying it. And now a something else has honed in on that frequency and is now here and is now going to focus it all the more is going to take all of the, um, I mean, darkness is just the absence of light. So it can't be focused into a coherent beam like light. But if we, if we take that kind of metaphor into making coherent beams of darkness, I think that's apt. And that is what the Barlows of the world do. Um, it is the mobilization and the concretization of nothingness. And I think that we are so accustomed to the banality of evil that we don't listen when someone says, no, the banal, the banal, insipid junk that makes you kind of despair of getting up when your alarm goes off is of a piece with these monstrosities. Um, they, they feed on the same things. They rely on the same things and they produce many of the same ends, perhaps not manifestly, but this is one phenomenon, not, not a bunch of random phenomena. 
Well, and I think too, like you asked a point, uh, a poignant question, and uh, you know, we, we've we've been having this conversation for a while now, so I'm cognizant that we need to wind it down, and I want to give Blake and Andy an opportunity if they want to respond as well. But I would say just directly back to your question of how do you live in Salem's Lot and not drink from Barlow? How do you not get sucked into Barlow's thing? I think you do have to recognize what it is for what it is. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is like to, kind of to what Ian was saying, like not call yourself crazy for the, the flash in your spirit that says that that's bad. That's wrong. We should not go there. Like we should not go because that, that soft complicity to just wander in that direction is how it happens. That's, that's how we are. Our consciences are eroded. And I do agree with you. It's father Callahan made the choice to leave the lot. Uh, in the novel, uh, in 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 the movie, who knows what the hell happened to it? But in the in the in the book, he made the choice to leave the Stop lot. A priest, <laughs> and um, and so when he when he leaves the lot, I do think that that I, I do think that a choice may be: I'm going to abandon ship. I can't fix that from within, so I'm going to abandon ship and I'm going to go to another. And pl- people make that choice when the evil or the wicked things are happening in a particular <laughs> institution or a particular place or a particular thing, they, there are plenty of people who make that choice. Uh, they make that choice existentially. They make that choice ideologically where they just say, I am going to exit. I am not part of that anymore. Uh, whether they believe there's too much corruption in the church, so they're not part of the church anymore. They believe there's too much corruption in politics, so they're not a politician anymore. They believe there's too much corruption in this place or in this thing or whatever, so they abandon that ship. That is a choice that can be made. And I do hear you when you say, well, that's a bit too reductive writ large. Yes, it is. But I think once you once you see Barlow in a place, a choice that you can make is, first of all, to recognize what it is. And you either have to find a way long. I'm actually not being jokey to Andy's observation. Long as it may take to drive the stake home, you either have to find a way to vanquish it or you have to find a way to exit it. Um, and I think that is the choice that that we have. So what we cannot do is sit passively in it. We cannot just be like, I'm just going to cook my soup over here and I'm just going to have my meal and I'm going to not pay attention to what's happening next door to me and I'm not going to pay attention to what's happening down the street from me. I think the ignorance will simply delay the inevitable when a scratching will happen at your window. I, Jeffrey Lewis, the actor who plays uh, Mark Ryerson, sitting at the table, that thing where he said he had a dream and he saw a being and he let him in. That haunted me tremendously. That's in the film where he said, and I let him in. And he says it so casually. And he says, I saw this thing and I let him in. And I think that's the passivity with which we get sucked in and we get both get fed on by Barlow and we get, <laughs> and we, and we feed from him. We just, I saw the thing and I, and I let it in. And, and it's that sort of haze, that dreamlike state. And we have to resist that. Uh, for ourselves anywhere in any place that we may find it. And I'm not pretending it's easy. Uh, you just asked a question, how do we live yeah, there without yeah. doing that? That is my answer, is you either find a way to stake it through the heart, long though, though that journey may be, or you find a way to exit that place because Ichabod and and the glory has left that place. And no, we're we are now going to write it off to burn as the conclusion that King makes in the, in the novel. And your other answer, Reed, is is the unexpected holiness of mundane yeah. items. So get your tape out yeah, and tape those sticks. T- yes. tongue, tongue depressors Which, together because you need to be yes. armed with the cross uh, to, to withstand the unbelievable and the mm-hmm. impossible that suddenly is right there. Yes. 
And I, uh, I th- uh, uh, yeah, go I'm ahead. sorry, a thin layer. I want to add to all of this because it's real, and it's, I won't run long on this, but it's it it's a big puzzle piece in the book that does not really get any service in the film. Uh, but a thing I wrote down as a theme that, that that mixes in very well needs need this into the dough uh, is is the notion of can't. Uh, there's a great sequence of conversations of adults trying to convince each other of the fantastical in their midst, and I think it's Burke and Ben, or it's Burke and Susan. Burke to Susan, uh, I can't recall exactly the exchange, but one of them says, "But." is is about to challenge the theories that are starting to get around and it's like he says no 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 you're still thinking and can't stop doing that like mm. you can't uh forgive the redundancy there but um i will be direct uh i think of people who say donald trump can't win the presidency i think of people who say uh surely facebook can't be responsible for the downfall of democracy i mm. think of people who say these things and i'm not trying to paint with so broad a brush that we are all just uh, swirling the drain here. I am saying until we start to wrestle with the the monstrosities in our midst, which is not mm-hmm. a singular entity a la Trump, a singular zeros and ones a la Facebook, but the aggregate effect, we will we will never be honest mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. with right. with ourselves, with those in our midst. Y'all, I'm sorry to drive on this, but I just saw an article today and it brings me great despair uh, uh, and, and not every headline is, is meant to be blown up, but I had a conversation with my brother tonight and he works in a church in rural Georgia and he talks often about this, this very clear split in his church of just mindsets and, and it's easy to read into what that means, but he was talking about these the desire for people to uh, on people's parts of saying, well, you know, you're just, you just gotta be able to have a conversation about different ideas. And it's, and I said to him, I challenged him. I was like, yes, but the problem is many people's ideas are in can't world. Uh, uh, and there are ideas that, that are in the real world and where I'm going with this is simply to say, I sent him this link, which is just in Texas, of course, which that glorious bastion of, of, of wonders these days, um, of, of Barlow, perhaps even, uh, a, a school board that has uh, uh, positioned their public schools to put in their uh, classrooms uh, uh, books that tell the opposing side of the Holocaust. And y'all, this is an incredibly slippery slope. It's not even really a slippery slope anymore. It's just a downward, a downward slide. But this Cliff. is what I'm talking about is, is we're not being honest. We're not being honest right. with ourselves. And, yep. and when you're not honest with yourself, you start lying to everybody else. I sent um, my last note here. Uh, uh, I, I sent Reed an Instagram thing I found recently from a crazy person. And I said, Hey man, scroll this for two minutes. And, mm-hmm. and, and his immediate response was, this is disgusting. And my note to him was because I don't speak in these terms. I am at some points, father Callahan, uh, shifting my tie. And I am at some point saying, but what about evil with a little e uh but then you look at this stuff and i'm like instagram uh uh, social media whatever feels sometimes like a little e but i but i sent him this one account which is but one tendril uh but one vampire out of barlow's legion and i said isn't this demonic like at what point can a swirl of lies not be defined as demonic Mm -hmm. and i don't use that language often but it felt that Mm -hmm. way and so i'm sorry i'm getting wound up again but just this 
this bafflement, this puzzlement, this need to abandon Kant in favor of honesty about the monstrosities we wrestle with. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, and um, so I'm going to, I'm about to do two things. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put uh, Blake and Andy on notice that if you have something you want to share, but quick, pl- please do raise your hand uh, in a second. Cause I'm just going to, um, so uh, my, my final note is, is really just going to be to pivot back to what Andy was saying, which is there should be an impulse that arises in us that does not seek to simply obliterate the uh, the 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 people with the Barlow, but instead to segment that out and say like, hey, well, it's the Barlow that needs to be destroyed. So we need to we need to weed that out, whatever that looks like. And I think there is an impulse in us that can interrogate and say like, no, 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 not. And I know you're. I'm not beating up on you, Nathan, because I know the the impulse rises where it's just like, yeah, Barlow can have them. I think the uh, the other way that we live in Salem's lot without drinking from him is by not to not to resign people to him and to say like no 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 there is something worth fighting for worth striving for in that midst and so uh so that that's just going to be my final note pre fog meter on that note so um Andy Blake but, you get anything else to add or if I had you, any no, regrets this episode it was literally saying let Barlow have them I take it all back. <laughs> <laughs> please Blake and Andy take us home <laughs> um so First off, I, I want to lead off of, of the emotion that you had, Nathan, whenever you asked that question, because um, I feel that on a very visceral level daily. Um, and I think the hard part about Salem's Lot is, and this is where evil can be so banal, is that it's unrecognizable at times. Um, and that the problem with Salem's lot and the reason why you can't always escape it is, or recognize it and vanquish it is because you don't even know it's there. Um, and so I wake up a lot of mornings and I'm like, what part am I playing in this gravitational pull, this signal that I don't even know I'm doing? Like, like that I'm just playing into this, this constant, um, drawing of the Barlow to this town or this area. Um, I think that's the hard part for me. Uh, and that's where I get emotional is that not only do I see it myself, but I see it in the people that I am in immediate community with. I see it in the nation, the state. Um, the hard part is, is like, can we get to where we actually recognize it? That's, that's that's the big question for me like yes the answer is either exit or vanquish but first we have to diagnose it <laughs> and i'm not sure that we always can mm. no uh, that's right that's the hard part for me um second thing uh it's really uh interesting that ian brought up the professor monologue in narnia because mm. i literally two days ago picked up my copy of blind witch and wardrobe to look up that exact thing yeah. um, for a piece I'm writing on it. Uh, mm. Just a separate thing that I wanted to write separately. But this idea of, I think what that thing, what that conversation does and what I think can be applied to this, this question is this idea that we, we trust in the things that we know, the people that we know, um, if we know that Lucy is going to tell the truth, even when it's going to cost her, we trust that. 
mm-hmm. it's a radical trust. Um, and I don't think we have that as much anymore. We're, we're so bound to the internet to seeing a version of each other. That's not the real person. Um, right. and so we don't yeah. actually know people. Um, yeah. and so we don't trust people anymore. We don't trust that, you know, if, if we were in a room with a person that we vehemently disagree with, that we would find common ground, um, that we would find some peace, some healing of some sort. Um, I, I struggle with that. I struggle mm-hmm. with that. And that's where I, that's where I, I feel the pull of the not being able to recognize that we're in Salem's lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know that that's all a lot of rambling, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, just, just to say that, that I have that same emotional response because I feel that existential dread yeah. a lot. Yeah. Especially no. with myself. So understood. Understood. Um, Andy, before we pivot to fog meter, did you have anything else that you wanted to throw in? I don't think I can articulate what I want to say tonight. So I'm going to say mm. I have nothing. <laughs> to say it, so. We will, we will find other opportunity to share that maybe in, in some written form or some, uh, or another to be able to explore that further. Uh, when we the, do a return to Salem's lot. Oh, that's not going <laughs> to yes. happen. That's not going to happen. I'm going to veto that. B-side? Right B-side, right anyone? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, no, no, no. I heard. And 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 speaking of the uh, the lateness of the hour, it it, uh, it it probably is time for us to pivot to ye old fog meter. Um, what that is, uh, in this particular, what we've been doing, because this is the What Saves Us series, is we have been doing the, not just the fear of God, our scares and substance, but the <laughs> fun of God, as it were. So, uh, but the, you know, in October, that's a little bit trickier to kind of narrow down. So uh, what I'm going to say is that when we go around our metrics, uh, again, out of 10, zero to 10, um, then your first measurement, uh, take it at fear or fun, whatever you want to do. But uh, when you rate it, uh, you know, rate it on basically the overall quality of the piece, and then uh, the secondary is rated on the thematic substance that you find in the piece. Um, I'll go first, and I'm going to say for time's sake, we should go ahead and give both measurements at the same time. Um, for the general sort of quality metric, I'm going to give Salem's Lot the book. Uh, I, I'm going to say this. Let's, let's either pick... Uh, well, let's do this. Let's say the, the book and the film, just that'll make it easier and cleaner for everything. And I'm going to give the book a seven... And I'm going to give the movie a five. And that's on the fun slash fear, whatever you want to say. And then on the God meter, I'm going to give the book uh, an eight. And I'm going to give the movie a three. That is where I am going to land. So uh, so it was seven, seven and five for the book. It was, uh, or sorry, uh, uh, it was a seven and an eight for the book, and it was a five and a three. I am impressed, Reed. Like, yeah, <laughs> that took work. Okay, so Andy, before we lose you, um, your your metric for the movie, okay? My metric for the movie, the fun of God, one to ten. Go. Was it fun for you? No, no. Okay, it was a, it was a two. Okay, and the God meter <laughs> for the movie. I mean, it had the 
the two scenes with the priests. So I'll give it a two for God two scenes. twice. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. Uh, Blake, what about you? Um, so I'll give the, I'll give the book an eight for fun, fun. Um, and then the movie I'll give, I'll give it a six. Um, and then for God, I will say that the book is a seven and the movie is a four. Okay. So yeah. All right. Um, the book and the movie, I will give sevens for fun. I don't know why I held up four fingers for seven. <laughs> but- <laughs> Please, uh, was that supposed to be satire? <laughs> Lord. I-, I think it was just uh, self aware. But um, <laughs> um yeah, it, it, the 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 book um I think is um substantive. The movie is always fun for me. I always have a good time whenever I return to Salem's Lot, even though like I'm definitely very uh, aware of its its failings. It never ceases to be a fun ride for me. Um, God the book definitely much a much stronger showing um and i i would i would give an eight it is there um more by being shown than by being told i would say um with the movie um i'll go with a six because uh in part i mean again the scene uh, with ben in the hospital i think visually articulates Mm -hmm. uh something Uh, so yeah I'm not Reed Lackey, so I can't tell you what all four of the digits I just said. <laughs> I captured them though. Actually, I knew you. I knew you did. I knew you did. <laughs> um, ahead, for, for myself, um, uh, fun factor for the book. I, I enjoy the book a lot. Um, I think from a, a thriller suspense, you know, kind of horror standpoint, uh, it hits a lot of those marks. Um, and the the bigger macro narrative is really fun to me and engaging. So I'm going to give it a I'm going to give it an eight on the fun factor for the book. Um, I, I really didn't enjoy. The, I will give the movie a three on the fun factor because what kept me bought in was the 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 really piss poor uh, achievement unlocked, where I could say I consumed 20 hours of content for one conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like 17 hours of audiobook and three hours of movie. So I'll give the movie no three, three 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 points for that. Um, as far as the God meter, um, I do think. I do think what is being sought after in the book in a lot of ways is, is achieved um, that sort of examination of our, our own small evils that, that aggregate mm-hmm. into a, a bigger one. So I'll, I'll go seven there. Uh, I even thought in the moment that uh, uh, tongue depressors being taped, notwithstanding uh, that scene really does a lot for not just my appreciation of that actor, uh, but the latter half of the movie. So I will give it a four on the God meter. All right. And that means that respectively, we give the book on the fog meter a seven and a half, which is pretty, that's on the fog meter. We give the book a seven and a half. We give the Tober Hooper, Toby Hooper film, <laughs> the Tober Hooper. Um, we give the Toby Hooper. Hooper. Whore. <laughs> we give it a four. Out of ten uh, on Ooh, the on the fog right. meter. Uh, Sorry, so, Tober. 
so that is the so that is the film. Um, I'm gonna round robin us one last time before we sign off. And please, uh, let's let's just you know kind of generally, do you recommend it or do you not? Uh, do you recommend? <laughs> I know I'm just really feeling the you can't time. Go home, but you can't stay here. You don't so, have to go so, home. You stay here. <laughs> right. So so Blake, do you recommend the movie or not? I'm gonna say what? what? Yes. You do. Yes. Okay. You recommend the book? Yes. Okay, Nathan, do you recommend the book? Uh, yes. Do you recommend the movie, though? No. Okay, Ian, do you Our recommend casted the book? version, yes. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, do you recommend the book? Yes. Do you recommend the movie? Even more so. <laughs> awesome. Andy, I know your feelings about the book, Potatoes? but do you recommend the movie? <laughs> base, base. Oh, yeah. Um... <laughs> The book has been recommended to me, oh, and sure. I do not recommend the movie. Or recommend the movie. <laughs> Certainly, um, I, I am going to recommend the book, uh, and uh, sure on the movie, like sure. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a shrug of a sure. Okay, uh, I mean, you know, so, we got three hours to kill. Sure, exactly. I'm so, a uh, what's ironic <laughs> is. Normally, our conversations on the fog uh, are longer than the film themselves. I thought, surely it won't be this time. But then here we are. <laughs> so, oh, this I'm has not, been lovely. I'm never sure. tell me the odds. And never call <laughs> I, me surely. I really, I really <laughs> want to thank everybody for being here. Thank you. It's, it, it's, it's late where we all are. So I really want to thank everybody. Uh, thank you for your time. Listeners, thank you as, as well very much. David Pooler, thank you so much for submitting Salem's Lot. Um, I feel... This has been a really, really great conversation. Uh, as as far as I'm concerned, I've really had a lot to challenge me and a lot to, for me to think about. Um, and so I want to say two things, uh, and then we'll sign off. The first thing is, please, if you have not RSVP'd for the Fogoween, uh party, that is not going to be a recording. That is just something that is going to happen. So uh, be there or be square. So go to the fearofgodpodcast.com, RSVP if you intend to go. That is going to be happening as you're listening to this. That's going to be happening this weekend, uh, this Friday awesome. specifically. So do that. And then next, we want to announce that next week, if scheduling goes according to the plan, we are going to be back in the thick of non-horror for the rest of the year with What Saves Us. And next week specifically, we're going to go to the classic from the 1980s directed by Rob Reiner, none other than, ladies and gentlemen, it is inconceivable. The Princess Bride is up next week. And so that is what we are going to be talking about. Um, and so as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. In that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Gentlemen, thank you all so very much. Thank you. Uh, this has and, been amazing. Uh, listeners, thank you as well. We will see you next week. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright, who helped me read Lackey write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at morethanonelesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. All done. <laughs> <laughs>